Radio Mano Papachango. This is what it looks like as the shit hits the fan, ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever been wondering. It's day 45 of the Trump presidency and the collapse continues. I personally don't think the guy's going to last another two months. I think he's in the process of having one of the most colossal uh, public meltdowns in human history. I mean... Look, as I've said in in earlier episodes, I get it. I understand why people voted for him. Uh, I I would have been tempted to vote for him myself just as a protest vote against the corrupt, more of the same corporate-controlled, Wall Street-funded, lobbyist-infested normalcy that's been going on in Washington for at least since 1980, I would say, uh, which is the last time an outsider... Well, Jimmy Carter was elected in 1976 in response to the mess of Watergate. And, of course, the sort of Washington institutions made sure that um, he couldn't really get much done. And and, uh, his intelligence and sensitivity and thoughtfulness was used against him, as often happens in America, because we're not into sissy boy thinkers, even if they happen to be nuclear physicists who, you know, served on nuclear submarines for years and really understand the way the world works. Nah, we don't like that. We like fake cowboys like Ronald Reagan, who promise us that it's morning again in America. We don't want some faggot from Georgia telling us we have to use the metric system. Fuck that. Let's get this fake cowboy in here to tell us that we're perfect just the way we are and the rest of the world can adapt to us because we're America, God damn it. Yeah, well, that's not working out so well. For those of you who are too young to remember, Ronald Reagan was sort of the beginning of this idea that you can shape reality by just saying bullshit, uh, I mean, not the beginning. I'm overstating it. That started long before, obviously. People have been bullshitting since there have been people. And Edward Bernays uh, started the whole sort of um, calculated uh, media control, public relations stuff way back in the 20s and 30s. But anyway, uh, Ronald Reagan and the Reagan administration really brought a lot of advertising um an understanding of how advertising works into uh, presidential national politics. Lee Atwater was his Carl Rove, you know, who is now Steve Bannon. It's, you know, the sort of Machiavellian behind the scenes manipulator of reality. Anyway, so here we are. We've got a guy who is untethered from consensus reality, just spouting out whatever the hell he thinks is true. He is convinced that he deserves to be where he is, whereas those of us looking at it from outside understand that it's just this amazing historical accident. 
So we're seeing what happens when delusional insistence on uh, sort of inner created reality meets up with outer reality. And the outer reality is that Trump's an idiot. And uh, that's becoming more and more apparent even to people who didn't see that long ago. So anyway, this is it. Shit's hitting the fan. Uh, sometimes it is too late. Sometimes you have passed the point of no return. And here we are. Anyway, this episode is a very, very cool episode. I'm I'm happy to bring you this one. This is my buddy, Neil Strauss. You might know him as the author of The Game or any of uh, another, I don't know, eight, nine books he's published uh, and uh, former music um, correspondent for The New York Times and also Rolling Stone, where he still writes. I think he's a senior editor or something at, or contributing editor at Rolling Stone. So he's a very prolific guy, very smart guy, super interesting, a very private guy. And so I'm very uh, touched and honored that he's decided to mm, allow our friendship to be uh, publicized in this podcast, uh, a series that we've done where we hang out. And, you know, I think part of it is that um, Neil's misunderstood. A lot of people only know him as the guy who wrote the game. They haven't read the game, so they think they know what the game is. And in fact, you know, the game is not... If you ask most people who've heard of it, they'll say, oh, that's a book about how to pick up women. Well, not really. It's a book where Neil went into the world of people who do that stuff. And it's about those people and about their lives and about... Uh, you know, what led them there, what it's like to be there, and how ultimately empty the endeavor is of learning how to trick other people, which circles back to politics and all these other things we've been talking about. Um, and this this episode is particularly revealing, I think, and, and intimate because a woman named Marg uh, was in town uh, for... Neil's son's second birthday, and Marg basically raised Neil. She was an in-house nanny who lived with them from the time that Neil was a little boy uh, through, I think he was in his mid-teens when she left, and they've stayed close ever since. So she's from the UK, but she flew here to Los Angeles um, to hang out for a while, and she agreed to be on the podcast. So it's a very unusual episode, very interesting and touching, and I'm very happy to be bringing it to you. Um, yeah, we talk about all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Actually, I think at one point, Marg negs Neil, so that that's a highlight uh, of <laughs> the episode. Um what else is going on? I'm I'm sort of revising the van stuff. A lot of you write to me about the van and, hey, what's going on? Are you getting this van or not? And um, I've revised my plan there. I am looking, rather than buying a new van and investing a lot in renovating it and, you know, getting all uh, intense about it, uh, what I'm looking at now is buying a used van and that's already got a bed set up and, you know, maybe a little sink or whatever. Because a lot of people do these van conversions and then they sell it. They, you know, decide to move into a house. They grow up or they, um, you know, want to get a new one or whatever it is. So some of those are on the market. I've been looking at those. And uh, so I think the plan is I'm going to get uh, an older van, cheaper, 
uh, a wonderful guy, Oliver Thorpe, is uh, an auto mechanic here in Los Angeles. And uh, he's offered to inspect it for me and, and help me do whatever sort of work I need to do down at his garage. Um, by the way, if, if you're in Los Angeles and you're looking for an honest, cool auto mechanic, he's the guy. Yorks and Lanks Automotive. Uh, it's in uh, Chatsworth it's in the Valley. So if you're in L.A. and, and you want a, an honest really cool guy to to look at your car he specializes in in english cars british cars but um i guess he he does everything so check him out uh he doesn't know he didn't know that i was gonna <laughs> give him this plug so you call just say chris told you yorks and Lanks automotive um anyway so he's gonna help me look at the van and, and do some minor repairs if necessary and i'll cruise that cruise around on that this summer do a lot of these remote podcast episodes that I've been hankering after, get into some of these small towns, uh, check out some of the beautiful spots where people are rock climbing and paragliding and doing all the crazy shit that people do in the summer and the Rockies. So that's the plan. So hopefully it's all going to come together. I'm going to be looking at a van next weekend. Uh, that may be the one. We'll see. If not, I'll look at some more. So that's the update on the van. Without further ado, I guess we'll just get into this. Thank you. It's you know the end of the month, so uh, just a, a quick shout out to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon uh, and also through um, Amazon. I was looking through the Amazon stuff. Somebody bought an Oculus Rift virtual reality headset for six hundred bucks, and forty nine fifty of that came to support the podcast. So thank you very much. I think that was the high high ticket item for the month um but lots of people bought lots of stuff lots i see automotive stuff people are buying things for their car i don't know who knows maybe that's oliver buying stuff for the garage i don't think he would buy stuff on all on amazon but anyway people are buying stuff for their cars their pets their books for their kids clothing all sorts of stuff through amazon and they're going through the link on my page chrisryanphd.com that amazon ad and so uh in many four to eight point two five percent of whatever you spend comes to support the podcast which is greatly appreciated and allows me to not have to deal with reading you ads for stuff hey buy this shit it'll make you happy nah just if you're buying stuff anyway on Amazon, go through the link and stuff comes to us. So thank you so much for that. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm not going to yak anymore. Uh, I'm just going to get right into it. And uh, yeah, I'll play a song during the episode, but you'll know exactly what song it is because we talk about it in the episode. In the meantime, this is a little ditty called Rodeo Clown by G-Love and Special Sauce. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling your friends and your iTunes uh, ratings and all that shit. And uh, whatever else you're doing uh, for other people, thank you for that. I'll catch you next week. Come on. Sweeping the floors, open up the doors, here, yeah, turn on the lights, getting ready for the night. Nobody's romantic cause it's too early for dancing, but here comes the music. Bright lights flashing the cover of your liquor, so many people, so many bottles, so many reasons to buy another brand. 
took it down just another night on the town With the big man, money man, better than the other man He got the plan with the million dollar, give a damn When nobody understands, to become a smaller man The bright lights keep flashing, man, I wear my keep on dancing with your clowns Yeah, 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 pick me up when I'm down, yeah, yeah The rodeo clowns, yeah, 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 pick me up when I'm down, yeah, yeah Ball spinning on the music and the women and the shots of tequila Man, I say that they need you What they really need It's just a little room to breathe Teeny poppin' disco queen She barely understands her dreams are better But I'm raising other kinds of things Symbolic of change But the thing that is strange Is that the changes occurred And now she's just a part of the herd Yeah, yeah, yeah Man, I thought that you heard Yeah, yeah The changes occurred Yeah, yeah, yeah She's just a part of the herd Yeah, yeah Lights out, shut down, late night, wet ground You up, I look at him, but he can't look at you, yeah You might feel pity, but he only feels the ground Because uh, you understand who's but he only knows Let down by the corner, there's another one Reaching out a hand, coming from a broken man Well, you try to live, but he's done trying Not dead, but definitely dying With the rest of the clowns, yeah, yeah With the rest of the clowns, yeah, yeah Gentlemen, we are in Neil Strauss's library. Yeah, we're gonna every time office. we do a podcast, I'm gonna take you to a different room in the house. <laughs> it's, it's like a <laughs> game of Clue or something. Yeah. Right? Last time we were in the living room, we were on the sofa, right? right. Mr. Mustard. In fact, I'm gonna keep kind of like the Winchester house. I'm gonna keep building rooms uh, all right. for each podcast. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be delayed. Sorry, the room's not finished, <laughs> exactly. sir. Uh, I'm with Neil and Marg. And Marg is, no, Marg, what is your role in Neil's life? Tell us, you tell us yourself. I wouldn't like to say, actually. I'm oh. just raised Neil from pretty much born yeah. until he was, well, still am, really, aren't I? <laughs> still still yeah. trying to teach yeah, him how to do things. To, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Would you say he's a quick learner? Or mm, it's yeah, obviously a, not. A, yeah, he is a quick learner. He's just, <laughs> he just doesn't want to, want to learn certain things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's a quick learner when he right. wants to what, learn. What don't I want to learn? Oh, you certainly didn't want to learn, well, anything <laughs> athletic or yeah. any of those things. You always wanted to learn academic. Yeah, more. it's funny. I wonder why. Now I do. Athletic. Now I feel like yeah. some guys on the beach were throwing football yesterday and I was like and, and I couldn't participate this is actually a few months ago I couldn't participate so I got bought a football and had like somebody who knew how to throw a football teach me how to throw a football so I could like be one of the boys you grew up in America not knowing how to throw a football that's no. like that's an act of defiance right there that is it feels pretty good it's like I didn't own a car until I was 50 right for the first time I owned a car nowadays people don't own a car like I was talking to a, a 21 year old moved to uh, and, or even like Tim Ferriss or something, all these people uh, just 
did the math and Uber, it's just cheaper to Uber everywhere. Right. The problem is you have to be in a lot of conversations with people you might not want to. Yeah. And there was no Uber when I was right. a kid. You know, I know, I know people who don't take Uber because they just don't want to be in like caught in conversations and then they feel if they won't get, do the conversation, they'll get a bad rating on Uber. It's like a catch 22. Oh God, people who don't do Uber because they're afraid of like contact with another human being. Or they just don't want to have to deal with the conversation. Wow. I loved that about Uber. Yeah. That's what right. I loved about Uber. Got to know everybody's yeah. <laughs> But I think that's, a, that's a fair stories. choice to be like, well, right now it's time for me to, I want to contemplate on the drive and right. do some work, right? Yeah, but that's, you can say that to an Uber yeah. driver, right? Can't you just say, hey man, I'm, I'm going to do some work? You yeah, know? and then you get that low ratings, then you, then you can't get an Uber. You're like, why is every Uber, why, why, why are there no Ubers? Really? I'm, I'm totally oblivious to the fact that I'm being rated. There are, peop there are people obsessed with Uber ratings. Like, like I, I, was, yeah. I was in a car, one of them is my wife, by the way. When we were in the car, and like, and like she's like, we're almost like, it's almost like you're at a, a friend's like funeral or wedding or something, and she's yeah. like, no, 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 don't. She, and she's like kissing up to the Uber driver because she wants to keep her five-star rating. She has a perfect rating. Oh, come on. It's like that episode of Look Black Mirror. Have you seen? Uh, yeah, I haven't the, seen all of this season. The, but I've the seen new season, the first episode, is all about people rating Oh, I've seen other, that one, yeah. And that determines whether you get a house. Yeah, credit like, rating, sort of. So it's going to happen, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it already is. I, you know, I lived outside of the U.S. for so long and then came back just a few years ago. And it's like, what, you get credit ratings for, I mean, credit checks for everything here, yeah. you know? And I have really bad credit, so I'm right. very conscious of it. <laughs> right, right, right. No. You know, oh, oh, if you have, here, I got it. There's a, there's a hack to fix your credit. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, which is, um, and I'm saying this wrong, but Rico, who works with me, if you need your credit fixed, he'll take care of it. Oh. Uh, and he, for what, basically what it is, is you write, I'm getting it wrong, so you've got to look it up. Hmm. But basically, if you write a letter asking for, a, uh, uh, for something to be looked at, but they don't respond to that letter in a certain amount of time, it yeah. has to be removed. Uh, it's something like that. And so he has the, like, the letters and the follow-up on how to do it. Right. This is a hack where like, no matter who you are, you can clear your credit. <laughs> I think I might, I might break his hack. Right. <laughs> we'll just, talk about just, that later. Just, uh, <laughs> listen, if anyone listening, am I going to like, you know what? I, I, you know, I was going to make some kind of overly extravagant offer, but yeah. you know what? Just look it up. Or look yeah. up Rico, Rico Rivera. There, he's probably. Oh, does he have a service? Rico Rivera. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find me work, it's a. Uh, yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll ask him if there's permission to give some information out, and then you can do it at the top of the podcast. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. If he has like a service, a credit fixing service or something, he might now after this podcast. Yeah, exactly. How, uh, how, well, God how, knows what, what the credit rating of your of your listenership? Pretty is low, like. I imagine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like attracts like. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, so one of the reasons I brought you to the library uh -huh. is uh, um, that now that we're doing these podcasts more regularly uh -huh. by popular demand, by popular demand, by five tweets, exactly. <laughs> which feels like um, three of them were from you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Nobody said don't do it though. No, nobody has. Uh, I thought I'd, I love like. I, no, you I know what? I, yeah. I mean, I know you, I, I'm interrupting you, but there have I did get a lot of feedback after our first one right. along the lines of. I had no idea Neil was such a cool guy. I that's mean, like a neg. That's like a classic. That's like a neg from the game. Right? Yeah. It's like, it's like a backhanded compliment. It, it is, I guess. It, it is. I mean, uh, yeah, you've got this reputation right. of being sort of insincere and, and, you know, whatever because of the game. Right. Because people don't know you. They haven't actually read it. They just right. have this, you know, Which they've heard sense. about it. If you were, that makes sense. It's yeah. the weirdest thing. And yeah. 
the game is an odd book and the game is the book I wrote about in my two years in the world of pickup artists. Yeah. But it's the strangest book because what people think it is is so much different than what it actually is. Right. Because it's not a how-to adv- advocacy manual. Right. Um, but it's strange. Like, I remember, like, I was speaking in Australia recently at that Festival of Dangerous Ideas. Which oh, you yeah, did, yeah. Which was great. Yeah, but some so of the audience... Sydney Opera House. ...who hadn't read the book was, like, sure they knew what it was, and they were literally, like, arguing with me about what it was. Right. When they totally hadn't read it, but that's how sure people are. Right. It's almost like a, like kind of Donald Trump when he says something, like, even if it's proven wrong by... You know, it doesn't matter. It's not wrong once he says it. Right. There's a persuasion principle for that called commitment and consistency. Once you right. state something, it's true forever. Yeah. So it's the but it's a strange it's the strangest thing. Or again, maybe they're right. I haven't reread the book since I wrote it, so maybe they're right. Maybe it is what they think it is. But but what the intention was like, the it begins. It wasn't meant as advocacy. It was sort of a I really meant it for men and for women. Yeah. For women to understand the minds of these men and men in general, and right. for for. Uh, um, and, and like it begins with a guy about to kill himself, the greatest pickup artist about to kill right. himself, right? Where is he now, by the way? Uh, he's in, uh, I think he's in Toronto. I just, I just got an email. I guess they did a documentary about their, about their workshop. So he's still out there doing his thing. Oh, okay. And he's great. He really is like he's this guy. He's like dissected social interactions and turned it into a science. He really right. has figured crazy stuff out. Yeah, but he's not happy, or at least he wasn't in your book. It, you know, that was one of the. But it's nothing to do with this. It's just a manic. It's just manic depression, uh, right? It's either super highs or super lows. Right. 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 So anyway, I, I interrupted you. You were explaining why oh, we're okay. in the we, library. We can kind of do one of our tangent things. Well, we always do. Right. We can just go off and talk about whatever. Talk about whatever. But right. I mean, we're in the library, so that's one thing we're going to get to. We're surrounded by books. So, and so I want to point. Yeah, I can. Neil point and point I are both things. book guys. Right. Yeah. Point out a couple things. But we're also with Marg. We have Marg. We have to talk to Marg and get Marg because you know this. Yeah. This is the Marg it's episode. It's a rare opportunity. It's a rare opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. She's exactly. All the way from. And I don't want her to be sitting here going, "No, oh, I came here to listen to these two guys. <laughs> this is a lot of fun." By the way, Marg, she's visiting from Southampton, England. Southampton, England, flew all the way over here yeah. for Ten's birthday. Ten's birthday, okay. yeah. And yeah. Her, and I'm a. Mu- I'm, she got me into music, so she's probably the reason why I became a music critic at New York Times. No kidding, Stone. really. Yeah. And well, she, oh, go ahead. We were, Margaret and I were talking in the kitchen, and I, I asked if uh, she saw your success coming. And I expected question. her to say, of course not. Nobody sees that kind of success coming. And so she was like, oh, yeah, of course. Oh, really? How do you see that? Well, you know, she never says anything nice to my face. This is awesome. Oh, there, there, <laughs> there's the thing. There you go. See? <laughs> there's the answer kind of to make, Neil said all good things about you. <laughs> right. Right. Only what happened there? <laughs> so so how, how do you see it coming? Just because you always read, always loved books, yeah. always wrote, always right. were, always was interested in books. That's so interesting. You, could, you had to be go down that road, right. and also the music, yeah. because of always. I used to get my old vinyls out and play my old vinyls. Do you remember what he was particularly into? No, he played them all. We played them all. Uh, you wouldn't believe it's David Essex and what, yeah. uh, David Essex. <laughs> yeah. Rock on. Yeah, there you go. I love that song. Yeah, That's those... one of my favorites. No, really? Rock had, and roll, rock on. Oh, my soul. You got yeah. it. James Dean. That's yeah. a great song. It's yeah. so funky. I have that song right now. No way. On a CD in my car. See, that's where yeah, you go. There you go. Yeah. That to me, that song is like uh, it's up there with like the Beatles come together. You know, there's some songs that are just it could come out today and it and would be cutting either. edge and fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of the funkiest songs I know. 
jump up and down in the blue suede shoes. Hey, dear, you rock and roll, rock on. And where do we go from here? Which is a way that's clear. Still looking for that blue jean, baby queen, prettiest girl I ever seen. See her shake on the movie screen, Jimmy Dean. James Dean. Yeah, so David Essex, wow, yeah, good yeah, taste. He, yeah, he it was, was her, her thing. We were just Beatles. We all, yeah, he played yeah. all my vinyl. I had she, the, um, the old vinyl. She saw the Beatles when they, when they were Before an opening they act. Were. <laughs> an opening act. Yeah, Why, yeah, they were the opening act in Liverpool, or where, no, where did you see them? Good, uh, t they used to. T all the big bands used to tour England, uh -huh. and at the at the point of the Beatles, they were the opening act. And partway through the tour, they then became. Ah. Uh. The main feature. But Do you remember who they were opening for? No, I think it was Helen Shapiro, but I'm not 100% sure mm -hmm. on that. But they then became the main feature, but they were still the mm. opening act. And this is after they'd been in, in, Germany. in Germany. So they yeah. had come so back. they'd come and back and then started on the, uh, like, yeah. I guess, rock circuit in England, which and was Was pretty, it the four? The, the, yes. The, um, yeah, so Ringo, Ringo was with yeah, them? Yeah, it wasn't like was the Pete Best. No, no. no <laughs> you no. weren't in the Cat Cavern Club in a... No, no, I'd like to have been. I wish I was. But she saw it all, like the, you name it, whether it's like the, the Rolling Stones, that, that uh, who else? Everybody. You name a version Everybody, of Pink yeah. Floyd? Yeah, no, Pink Floyd's that much later, because I came to the United States in 68. Uh, so before that, I probably, we went like every two... Eric Clapton? That's the Yardbirds. Yardbirds, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Yardbirds. 
Yeah, we saw all so that. So were, she, she were you like a Elton hippie? John's band before. Pardon? Were you a hippie? Sort of, wasn't I? Sort yeah, she had long, hippie, long, greasy yeah. hair. Long yeah, hair. long hair. Yeah, you long flat, it was not <laughs> See, I, you know what? Um, she was on Elton John's band before he was Elton John. Yeah, that's right. I forget the name he of the band. He was just the pianist? I think it's just Steam Packet, yeah. That's it, Steam Packet. Steam Long John Baldry. <laughs> right. It was Long John yeah, Baldry and um, I've forgotten the girl, Julie. Judy Driscoll, or yeah. I've forgotten yeah. her wow. name now. Yeah. Are you a musician? No, not at you all. You just really just appreciate like it and yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, just love music. So yeah. I remember like she took me to the record store when I was really young, like four or five or yeah, something like small, that. Yeah. And I went to get a Beatles record and the clerk there said, you know, I have an extra copy of the Beatles, like the Blue Greatest Hits album. Uh, and he's like, I'll just go get it for you and come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you. Yeah, we had to go Because I guess I was so young. Day. So we went back the next day. I still remember the guys. Uh, he kind of had like shaggy blonde hair. I forget blonde his name. Hair. It's like Rod or Rob. Or... Yeah, something. Anyway, I can't remember he, uh, the time. And he, he gave me that free record, which is funny because it led to like a lifetime of free records. You know, as a Oh, music that's true, right? It's, it's interesting, right? The Beatles yeah. Blue. I remember there was a red one and a the blue one. one. And yeah, they're both we, greatest we had, hits. I mean, both, both doubles. End, yeah, I got them both later. And they had them all like looking down. That's it. Same photo at two different periods in their careers. The one, one they have yeah. all the beards and shit. That's right. the blue one, yeah, yeah, and then the earlier one's one. the red one. They're in the right. Not even went straight for the blue one, man. Not that. Not the yeah. Not, not that innocent. Come you, together. You went to the the post the LSD Beatles. Yeah. yeah. Um, Although they did not. It's and the one thing that pissed me off about the Beatles. Uh, John Lennon. I remember reading this interview with him in uh, Playboy, and he denied that they ever used hallucinogens. And at this point, now. Uh, you know, the, the surviving Beatles all talk openly about it, right. and there's no question about it. But the whole, like, Lucy in the Sky with diamonds, oh, no, right. that was my daughter's friend. Like, come on, dude, you're a truth teller. Why are you lying about that? It, I mean, we've got to see the era, because maybe it was right after he got all the shit for the, uh, you know, bigger than Jesus comment. And maybe he was just kind of over, just, that. you know, sometimes yeah. you just get whipped so hard. But if you're shit. doing an interview in Playboy, you know, you're not trying to avoid publicity. I think, you know what it was? It was just... It was the interview he did just before he was shot. It it was oh, really? it was in the oh, was current edition, uh, current issue of Playboy when he was shot. Yeah, oh, interesting. Because he was promoting double. What was the the oh, last yeah, record he the, did? The one with Yoko, uh, double uh, double fantasy, double fantasy, which contains the song "Watching the Wheels." Right. Which, if you listen to the words to that, it's a song about dying. It's oh, such a beautiful song. I'm just watching I just had right to let it go. Oh, interesting. And I mean, it's what the song is ostensibly about is people saying to him, hey, don't you miss the big game now? You're no longer in the ball. Right. Don't you want to be famous? Don't you know, right. don't you miss all that? And he's like, I'm just like hanging out, having a good time. I just had to. The last words are, I just had to let mm -hmm. it go. Right. I just had to let it go. Interesting. What a beautiful thing I to I say. I remember when John was shot, we were at the table you were Mark. together yeah. and Margaret was yeah, important we, were... we did the minute of silence because Yoko yeah. and I had everyone do a minute yeah, of silence that's right. it was a minute I remember at our silence. dinner table yeah. I think we did that lunchtime wasn't yeah, it yeah lunchtime yeah how old were you do you remember uh, 13, you really young. Yeah. 12 yeah I really remember in that age group yeah, in that yeah age you're group. quite a bit younger than me because that that whole like greatest hits record that didn't come out till the 70s yeah it wasn't, it wasn't new 70s. when I got it it definitely wasn't new oh no uh, it was an old old record I just wanted it that was just where I was going to start yeah. yeah, I remember your sister got me the first Clash record. Yeah. Um, so, but here's what's interesting, and this is a small tangent, but I just thought it was interesting that because I've interviewed so many people at the when I at work, I talked to a guy named Danny Fields. I think he worked at Cashbox in one of those magazines, mm. and he was the one who put out the 
Lenin says he's bigger than Jesus line. Right. And I'm going to get this, again, I'm going to get the story wrong because it's off memory. Um, but he, his is what he, he said, like, I was just sick of the Beatles phenomena and it was time to stop it. He was like, I was just sick of it. The and journalist the, jur- the, the editor of Cashbox or whatever uh-huh. that music magazine was. Right. And so he found this old, this art, uh, an article, an interview John Lennon had done, I guess, in a British paper or somewhere else. It I wasn't, guess. yeah. Yeah. And then he made the headline, you know, whatever that headline is, Lennon says he's uh-huh. bigger than Jesus, just to like, just as a fuck you really? to the Beatles. But it's interesting that these, how, uh, I mean, it's still how the press works, right? Yeah. 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 Wow. So that I always thought that was a current interview that he had given. But you're saying he dug it up from a it was a he dug it, it up was from like semi recent. Yeah, from semi recent uh, and then blew I just that wanted up. to accentuate that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean if you if you want I can go f- grab my computer later no, this no, and read no, that no, read no. what he said. And that it's fun, fun, and that's before social <laughs> right. and that's before social media where something to blow up like that took some work. The stuff's the same. It's funny, I was just reading Oh man, I'm clipped in, but I was just reading a book by Sherwood Anderson called Winesburg, Ohio. Yeah, I, I saw wanna, it on your kitchen. Yeah, yeah, I want to read a quote from that. Can I, if I uncl- unclip, is it yeah, going to be a yeah. problem? Okay, Marg and I will talk while you uh, go get one that. Second. Okay. So Marg, what, what, how old were you when you came to the U.S. then? 20. 20. Mm-hmm. And why did you come? An adventure, really. I just wanted an adventure. And, I'd, and a London paper. I saw in a London paper, would you like to... A, ch- a bit look after children in America, and I thought that sounds like an all pair kind of you thing. You know, yeah. And, and what what year was that? Nineteen sixty-eight. Oh wow! So. Okay, so that's amazing. So nineteen sixty-eight. You're twenty years old. Yeah. The world is changing. You've got riots in Paris, that's student it. rebellion, yeah. Prague Spring is around there somewhere, it's all, right? All in there. Yeah. The world, the Vietnam War, obviously is raging. Uh, the Democratic Convention is happening in Chicago. Yeah, I was. Yeah. And you decide to jump right into that mess. Yeah, and why come not? to America. Yeah, yeah just for it's, yeah, just I'd always I'd always wanted to go to America anyway right. from a child. Right. Just seemed, but the funniest thing is uh, to, to end up with Neil is because when I went for the interview in London, they said, "Where would you like to live?" And I, do I know America? I don't know America, do I? So I said, "I don't know." So they said, "Well, would you go to Chicago?" I said, "Well." I guess why. So they said, well, it's easier to get there because they're tightening up on the green cards and nobody wants to go to Chicago. So if you say yes to Chicago, you really? will actually get there with a lot of people wanting to go to L.A., New York, etc. Uh-huh. They're going to have a harder time. So really? OK, <laughs> what do I know? I don't know anything. Chicago is as good as L.A. or, you know, wherever to yeah. me. Yeah. So, it's funny the chance events. In it's, it is how yeah. one. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm back with that. But keep carry it. OK. So I'm, this, I just read this, and this book was written in 19, I want to say like 1919, something like that. It was a big influence on John Fante. It was a big influence on Charles Bukowski and, and, mm. and, and so on. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Which Sherwood Anderson most famous for? This very book, uh, Winesburg, Ohio. Oh, okay. It's a, great, it's a great book. It's just sort of fiction, but portrait, and it's ba- but it's based on people that he remembers from his town growing up. Right. And they're all, each chapter is like a mini portrait of this person, this town, but they're so artful and so beautiful. Huh. But in this one, he's talking about, and, it, and it, your social media comment triggered yeah. it based, you're like, it sounds like it's just social media now. Right. And now this is going back yet another generation, you know, a couple of generations. And he's writing about um, uh, that uh, books badly imagined and written, though they may be in the hurry of our times are in every household. So he's talking about how the way the automobile has changed the culture back in the, back in the past. Right. Now books badly imagined and written though they may be in the hurry of our times are in every household. Magazines circulate by the millions of copies. Newspapers are everywhere. 
In our day, a farmer standing by the stove in the store in his village has his mind filled to overflowing with the words of other men. The newspapers and the magazines have pumped him full. Much of the old, brutal ignorance that had in it also a kind of beautiful childlike innocence is gone forever. The farmer by the stove is brother to the men of the cities. And if you listen, you will find him talking as glibly and as senselessly as the best city man of us all. Yeah, that's <laughs> and it's a great line, but it's like, but it, but it just is what people are saying now, which yeah. is like just too much noise in your head all the time, yeah. getting all these secondhand opinions. And it's funny that yeah. in 1919, yeah. they were still saying the same thing. Yeah, I, I quote a, a similar thing in the, this manuscript I'm working on now where it's it's like the same thing. It's like things are moving so fast. People can't keep up. The brain can't keep up with the rate of, of acceleration and blah, blah, blah. And it's from like 1880 or something like that. Right. But see, the thing, I think you and I might have touched on this in our previous uh, on the sofa-based uh, conversation. It's It's both... To point to something like that is both accurate in saying, like, yeah, you know, people are always noticing this. And yet, it doesn't uh, invalidate the fact that things are accelerating and they're getting more and more intense. Right. So it's it's actually, it's one of those things that's true and not true at the same time in the sense that, you know... I think what we're facing now in terms of the onslaught of information and the sort of flushing away of all silence and darkness in our minds and space for contemplation is much more intense than what Sherwood Anderson ever right. saw. And if you paused and you took out that quote you just said, Sherwood Anderson could have said that exact quote then. That right. is much more intense right. than, than whatever, what a New generation Hansen before. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, when we say, well, yeah, everyone, you know, when they get older, they complain about how it's not like it used to be. Therefore, what you're saying is invalid. No. Therefore, it's constantly accelerating. So each right. generation is legitimate in having that perspective. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, there's the shifting baseline all the right. time, you know? Yet yet the perspective is always the same, which is interesting. Exactly, yeah. right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, the older I, maybe the only insight I've, I've gained in my uh, 55 years on the planet is that, is that the way to look at life is not a line and it's not a circle, it's a spiral. Yeah. That's pretty much all I figured out. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's both cyclical and there's a linear component to it as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good, I think that's, I think that's right on. That's all I got. Yeah. No, no, you said that really well. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You, you just recently did, did that, the podcast I do, uh, The Truth Barrel The Truth podcast. Barrel. Yeah. On there, the, this is close this, to this, a naked interview as I've ever it done. It was great. We all got our suits. <laughs> so there was a quote you said, I thought, oh, this is really good. Uh, then I put it up on like social media and then people tore it apart and they were kind of right. So I'm going to, I want to wait. Oh, oh boy. So, so, but so you actually pay attention to what people say in social media. <laughs> well, here's what you, you and yeah. I have to talk about that. Right. I think but, that's but a bad they, but, some, but like, I, I feel like it's, it's feedback, right? It's, it's just, it's all just feedback. Yeah, but it's self-selected. I mean, right. the, oh, but most not, of the people who, right. who respond to stuff are being dicks. Right, but excuse me, Mark. I'm sorry to to uh, I agree. to use untoward. <laughs> I'm picturing you as a 20 year old in 1968. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just adjusting to that. Okay, that's yeah. who I that's who I'm picturing sitting here. I'll um, picture that person as well. Yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah our our inner self is still 20. Yeah, I see myself still, and it's like, who the hell? Is, who is that dude? You yeah, know, that's I, my, I posted my mom. a yeah. Well, I posted a photo of myself from 20 years ago the other day on Instagram and. 
the caption, and it was straight from the heart, was like, when did I get old enough to be that guy's father? Right, right. That's funny. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, yeah. it's weird. Anyway, you, I interrupted you. Oh, what? yeah. So the quote, so the quote was... Um, you were going to convey shit to me from your Yeah, from the thing. And by media. the way, there's nothing wrong with looking at it. It's like, how does this affect you is yeah, what matters. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with looking at it. It's like, yeah. does this either bring you up or down? Or you're like, okay, this, maybe there's a good point here. So right. here, was the, here was the quote, and here was their point. You said, okay. no one's got PTSD from helping someone else. From having helped a stranger, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then someone said, what about firemen and fire people, I guess, right? They, they probably got it. You know, what about police yeah. officers? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, but that's <laughs> okay. totally missing the point of <laughs> right. what I was saying, right? But I, but he, I mean, yeah, if you have to yeah. run through fire and, you know, kill 15 people to right. help someone, then you're going to get Or, a, or a I might PTSD. just see someone in the car and go to help them and get, like, shot at or run over yeah yeah no it's not because it sounded it sounded really good i'm like yes and then of course i'm like oh yeah but yeah I, but no but, but, I'm, but, I'm thinking yeah. like handing money to a homeless person right. you know picking up a crying child well, we have to work know. let's work on that quote <laughs> no one's no one's no one's gotten ptsd from you know from lending a hand to a stranger in need just whatever no nah, no nah, still got holes whatever ingrid ingrid by the way ingrid is like the quote buster we'll lie like i'll show her a manuscript from a, a book or yeah. or something and she'll bust the quote and that's great i want i want this stuff to be see you're you're much more of a perfectionist than i am right. i i'm like i i use this quote a lot um just because you've chosen to be a vegetarian doesn't mean bacon stops smelling good you know right and 90% of the people who hear that are like Damn, that's perfect. Because I'm talking about monogamy. You can right. choose to be monogamous, but you're still going to be a sexual omnivore. Right. Like Mark picked up on that metaphor right away. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what you were thinking. Are you a bacon fan, Mark? <laughs> yeah. Well, Mark doesn't know who I am. Sorry. She doesn't know who I am. She doesn't know what, right. what we're By dealing way, with. By the way, said her. with his hand on her knee, I just want to let the listeners know. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That, that, did, that, that is a fact. In a totally friendly <laughs> a manner. Totally friendly. <laughs> you were picturing her as she was in 68. Yeah, I was here. I'm telling you. And now, nice she looks the same, actually. Oh, yeah. She looks the same, really. But I, I do want to, like, if, if you're willing, I'd love, that's just such an interesting thing. 1968, you respond to this ad and you fly to Chicago. You've never been to America. You have a vague sense of where, what's, where these places are. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I really didn't have much idea of the geography of America. I mean, yeah. I knew New York was on the East Coast, Los Angeles was on the West Coast. Right. Other than that. Thank God you didn't get offered, you know, Houston. Yeah. Some <laughs> I don't know. Hell hole. Yeah. I'll, get, I'll get mail. I'm going to get mail. <laughs> Some, did my dad, when he was younger, ever try to hit on you? Like hit on no, the no. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm afraid it's not. A... <laughs> no good story. Is there any good secret stories I don't know about no, my family? No, no. Just between no us three? No, no, there's no. Oh, yeah, just between <laughs> us three, there's no secret stories. Just us three and 80,000 yes, yeah. people. I, I think people. I know all the secret stories and <laughs> yeah, publish them all. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know more <laughs> Well, that's why she's stories. not going to tell you. Anything. Yeah, you know more secret stories Are there any good ones I'm missing, though? Me, not that I know of. Okay. And if I did know, I probably wouldn't tell you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well done. Sworn to secrecy. Yeah. No, in my own interests, I think, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I yeah. think so. So you, uh, did, was Neil's family the first family you no, worked with? No, his aunt was the first family I worked uh, with. And then I went home for it. I wasn't sure whether I liked it or not. Hmm. So I went home and then I came back and she phoned his mother and said I, that I'd wanted a job and that was... And how long were you with that other family? Just a year. a year. And then I thought, because as soon as I came here, I opened a bank account and saved enough money to go home uh, in case I didn't like it. Right. And then I stayed, because I told her I'd stay a year, but you're not going to stay a year if you absolutely detest it. But hmm. 
I wanted to. And then after the year I went home and I thought, oh, I don't know, I didn't really give it a chance. Mm. So I contacted her and she contacted Neil's mum and the rest and, is and history. And how, how old were you? Were you just a baby? Just short of a year. Oh, wow. And what was really? the first thing you thought when you walked in the door and saw whatever the home that my family or whatever it was, what was the first, your first thought? Like, I suppose it was well, when I saw it went into your aunt's family. Right. I suppose your I don't know, my first thought was everything so different. I mean, I suppose I was just brought up a normal everyday girly. And um, I suppose a Coke was a funny thing. She asked me <laughs> if I wanted a Coke. Well, uh -huh. obviously I drank. And her, she had a whole shelf full of Coke. I'd never really encountered a whole shelf full of Coke. I'd, right. You know, I'd bought one can one now or two, and again. Yeah, or, yeah. Well, I think that was one of the things that, like, wow. Yeah. Uh, she had a big, big apartment, and yeah. all that was new to me. I'd never, and I'd never really been in an apartment anyway, because I was brought up in a house like most British right. youngsters of that time. Right. So that was a strange phenomenon. Yeah. And were were things? Were you getting away from something in the UK, no, or not you at just all. wanted just an adventure? Just wanted an adventure. That's literally. It's, it's pretty. I, I mean, I imagine. I, I I feel kind of awkward being a guest in someone's house if I don't know them very well. And you're walking into a stranger's house, and you're thinking, "I'm going to be here a year." A year. Yeah, like that's a big moment, right? Like this, in this moment. I'm going to learn some things that are going to have a huge presence in my life, you I know? I think a lot of it was I thought I would wanted to do it, wanted to come to the United States. I really was not financially able to do sure. that as we are now. It's, things are different now, right. aren't they? I was right. never financially. So I thought that was a good way because I'd have a home. She would pay me. Right. And, you know, yeah, no, always, it's, it's, it, and people was, are still doing it now. People, the, yeah, the but that was a sen sensible option for me to see the United States. Right. And did you get a chance to travel around or were you pretty much stuck in Chicago? Pretty much based in Chicago. They yeah. vacationed Palm Springs and Oh, oh so you did get to... Etc., but yeah. 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 And did you, uh, did you get a chance to go and hang out in Chicago and... You yeah, know, met meet, people. Meet people yeah. And, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's so it's so odd. Here's you know, you really gave us the best years of your, your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Like I always think, like, and again, here here's here's kind of what's interesting about Margaret, like the relationship. And again, I don't know how interesting it is to the listeners, but I feel like um, Marg really like is like our mom. Yeah. Um, and even though she came in through that story, you like, have a brother, right? You have a brother, yeah. and her Marg's mom or mom, we called like our, you know, we called her like. Grandma. Grand, well, yeah, when mom. my mum died, Todd, yeah. his brother, arranged the flowers for her funeral, and the guy I'd given him, the florist, said, how do you know this lady? He said, she's my fake grandma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, right. and, and her, you know, close to her family, then actually my own family, her sisters are as close, to, you know, we're, we're at, her Mark's sisters were at my wedding, my brother's wedding, mm. or no, my brother's wedding. My brother's wedding, wedding, my wedding yeah. My nephew was at your wedding. And your, yeah, Mark's nephew is like our nephew. So her family is like our family yeah. even closer. Well, I, I phoned, Neil phoned me from London one day. He'd arrived in London. He said, I'm in London. I'm staying with this man, whatever his name was. I don't know. And I phoned the man. And he said, oh, Neil's out with his cousin. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. I'll phone his cousin. He's like, do you know his cousin? I'm like, yeah, I think I do. So I phoned my nephew and the answer machine answered. I said, 
apparently Neil's with his cousin. I'm assuming you're the cousin. Right. And, <laughs> and, it, he, and he, he, calls, yeah, he calls his cousin. So like, it's kind of like, an, but it kind of speaks to the alloparenting idea. Yeah, exactly. In, in, your, in your book, like I can be as close to, to Margaret, yeah. not closer than my own yeah. family. And yeah, the genetics are a non-issue, really. Non-issue. Yeah. And it's funny, it's what I realized when I had 10. I always thought, I always thought oh, it's important to, you know, I really want to have a child. It's mm. your DNA and your mom. Right. Didn't think about like, I just want to have a child. But I realized when he came here that any vulnerable baby, I would just have the same you bond. love for. Yeah. It would make no difference. Yeah. It's not important. Yeah, I, I remember when Sex at Dawn first came out, I was still sort of fresh and doing interviews and like not sure what was going to happen. At this point, you know, I've heard every question a million times. Right. But I did an interview um, with... It, they were associated with the Playboy Channel somehow, right. it, somewhere in L.A. Uh, it was a like a video. Oh, I think I did that. Yeah, did you know that yeah. it was like in this really bad part like, of L.A. And it was yep, yep, yeah. Was it the radio one? I or think so. And the yeah. woman was like a former playmate or something, but she was like really smart. Right. And and I talked about allo parenting, and she was she just said, "Look, I I adopted a kid three years ago. I die for that kid." Like, there's no, you know, I can say as a mother, there's absolutely no difference between a baby that you gave birth to and a baby you didn't give birth to. It doesn't matter. And she had right. given birth to babies. So, so, so let me ask you this question, yeah. because like, you know, I, I think about evolution a lot. I read a lot of books about that. In fact, you're staring at like some of the stuff on my shelf right there. there I see Sex at Dawn. You do, you do see Sex <laughs> at Dawn. I, I, that one jumps out at me. I see <laughs> Perv by Jesse Baring. I see My Secret Life, which is a oh, it's Victorian great. pervy classic. Yeah. Um, but d don't, don't get anyway. distracted. You were, oh, yeah. You, so so, uh, oh, so, the, so it's, the question is this, like, the, the, we, it seems like we make a lot of extrapolations from a small amount of data yeah. uh, about things, and these yeah. are sort of just given assumptions. Right. And a lot of those assumptions, I'm just not so sure. They're, they're, are true. A lot of those assumptions are based upon uh, politics and economics. Yes. They're not scientifically valid. Exactly. Like, for example, you know, the idea that genetic propagation is the driving consideration of all sort of romantic and right. sexual relationships and, you know, it's at the heart of evolutionary theory because of DNA right. and because of the importance of DNA in adaptation. And there's so much resistance to the idea of group selection or multi-level selection because there's this sort of deep, encode, deeply encoded assumption of selfishness right. that's at the heart of capitalism you know, but you find that economic man is also a fiction. Right. That we are altruistic without, con with, you know, there's all this like, well, it's it's because it's your cousin, so you're going to be an eighth <laughs> right. as altruistic right. with your cousin as you would with it's your... It's such a slippery argument. I'm going to make it fit the model. Yeah. 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 Right. This is Hamilton, I think, who, who first came up with this, um, you know, kin selection theory, and it's very respected, and there are all these algorithms and, and you know, game theory and da 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 but it's like, no, that's bullshit. Yeah. It's bullshit. I'm yeah. not, if your kid runs into traffic, I'm not like, well, that's that's not my kid. I don't give right. a shit. You and know? you're not even thinking that on a genetic you level. You can't right. think on a genetic right. level. So, you know? so it's, it's, here's what's interesting. And here's what I've learned from, from doing a lot of journalism where you're talking to people firsthand is yeah. what survives is the elegant argument. Like if, in other words, if, in other yeah. words, and I'll give you an actual example that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and, and it will be good for the listeners to know this too, because they don't know this. The listeners, like you, there are you, some group. You're of, so yeah. conscious of the <laughs> listeners. Yes, the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> <laughs> like they're, they're just one entity. Yeah. Um, and, uh, 
but 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 the point is, oh yeah, man wants to spread his seed, and right. woman needs to like right. you know be careful about like, all that fucking like. But if someone can say it in like a two sentence elegant thing, right. then it just survives. And it and but the truth is not elegant. The truth exactly. Is, the truth is exactly. complex, and it can't be summed up right. that easily. Right. But, but and that's why that elegant thing just stays. Do you know the story about the okay. God particle? Uh, no, tell me that. It, it, it's story. one of my favorites. Okay. Like we've all heard of the God particle. And then I'll tell you my amygdala story. So don't let me forget the. Well, you told story. it on the last episode. Oh, I did. Yeah. Okay, same thing. Yeah. We've done the last episode. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm a fucking. Let's just stop doing these. I'm a fucking. <laughs> thank God someone's a rumor, someone remembers. But same uh, thing. It's a good story. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, it's perfect. So go back. And to that I'm episode. sure I've told the God episode a million times. <laughs> the God, the particle. God uh, particle. Um, but I love it because it's so illustrative of what you're saying. So the, there's this the physicist um, who discovered this. A tiny whatever it was a mu meson or i don't remember what the the particle is particle is not even a particle whatever it is this mathematical entity uh you know the, the a journalist was interviewing him and he said something like um you know how uh, you know how long have you been trying to discover this this particle and the guy said uh i've spent my whole life searching for this goddamn particle and so then when the journalist quoted him saying that, the editor slashed out damn. So it was this God dash particle. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then it, you know, then some other journalist was like, oh, the God particle, that's a great headline. And yeah. the other scientist discovered the God <laughs> particle. And then like, oh, it's so, it's so small. It's like the God particle. They've discovered God. And, it's right. God, and it t- took off. And it's completely bullshit. I yeah. mean, the guy, the physicist, probably doesn't even believe in God. He's a fucking physicist, for right. crying out loud, you know? How many physicists after Einstein, yeah. Einstein even believe in God? And we're in an amazing era now where, like, people just go through... People just um, look for anything to support their pre-existing exactly. belief. Exactly. So that exactly. nothing can be proven and, like, yeah. Pizzagate and crazy <laughs> yeah. shit. Like, people are just convinced that the Democrats are running, like, a... Pedophile, pedophile operation out of a pizza ring. restaurant yeah, in DC, yeah. and or or you know, and again, like, and and nobody, and you can't present the truth because there's always some argument against yeah. it. Like, there's some there's some slippery way to, to. But it is it's a very dangerous time we live in because the scientists. I was just watching the Bill Maher show before I came over mm-hmm. here, and he his sort of closing thing that he does, the riff at the end of the show, was about how when he was in college he fell in love with learning and books and how ridiculous it is now that uh, we don't respect intelligent people, we don't respect scientists, and we have you know the Trump administration who say, yeah, whatever, these scientists believe in global warming, but, you know, whatever, they're just all, you know, all corrupted and, da, 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 and the dismissal of, of intelligentsia and science and all. But the problem is that a lot of science is contemptible. A lot of science, as we were just right. discussing, is... Uh, it is based upon uh, assumptions that are not scientifically supported. Yeah. And, you know, that in the social sciences, it's it's rampant. I right. mean, I talk about this in Sex at Dawn a lot. You know, 60% of women never have orgasms from intercourse. That's, your subject pool is American undergraduate girls in your psychology 101 class who took these surveys right. and it's 150 it's, it's all based girls. based on college. Right, right. And it's like, yeah, there are no adult women. There are no Brazilians. There are no hunter-gatherers. Also, how like, what the hell to are you talking about? interview is different than a spoken interview. Exactly. So here's my question yeah. about science. By the way, quick, quick thing. Like reading all the climate change shit just so gets to me because the truth is 
who the fuck cares, but because just shouldn't we take care of the planet we're living on anyway? We don't need a science thing to prove, to fucking prove, to prove it. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, yeah. you know, it's insane that like, it would just sort of be like, you don't need science to prove that we should take care of like the home we live in. It's so bizarre to me. Yeah. But anyway, so here's my question about it. Cause I was having this discussion, say, you know, about fake science, fake news, all this stuff. Right. But is, and, and maybe you're the person to ask, is science just a methodology in the sense that, okay, if I can, you know, meet these criteria for a study and then get it published, that's science. Science is not, say, how it is not truth, but it's meeting these criteria that allow me to call something science and getting it published so that it's official. I, I think that is the truth of what's being called science in most cases right now. Right. And it's even worse than that in something like medical research where a pharmaceutical company will hire 20 scientists to investigate the effects of this new pill they're working on, right? And 19 of the scientists will find no effect or a negative effect. And they'll get paid for their research and their data accumulation or data gathering, but nothing will ever be published. Right. And the one scientist who finds like a, you know, a slight improvement in the patient outcome, that research will be published. Yeah. That's not science. There, where's, you, you can't only publish one out of 20 studies, 19 of which are inconclusive or negative, right. and say, oh, you know, yeah, look, science declared that this is a, has a positive effect. That's not science, but yeah. that's what's being passed that, around true. as science. And there's so many filters, and that's just one of them. I was talking yeah. to a professor at Harvard who did a study, but the result was not a politically correct study. Right. Uh, result. Yeah. It was just a true result, right. but he couldn't get it published because it didn't meet the existing social norms. Right. And yet we say science is the place where truth wins out, the better idea wins out. That's the not true. people are involved. <laughs> and, and scientists are the, among the most insecure, power-preserving, territorial people I've ever met. Really? Oh, God. Yeah. You know, who, who was it? Niels Bohr, I think, said that, uh -huh. you know, science progresses not one idea at a time, but one funeral at a time. Uh, wow, wow. Yeah. wow, that says it all, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to let my, my dog yeah. out and scratch at the door. I think, I can, I think this cord is It'll reach. You're good. Yeah. So, Marg, you, uh, so you come over in 1968, mm -hmm. and all hell's breaking loose. Were you, did you have sort of political uh, opinions? No, not one bit. Not, I did, was never political at home, and I was really uninvolved here. I knew what was going on, uh -huh. obviously the same as at home, but no. Did and you ever date anyone in Chicago? That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. We were thinking the same <laughs> lines, yeah. A few people, yeah. I never nothing. knew it. I never, yeah. Did you ever meet no. them? No, probably yeah. not. How, no. Did you, how did you meet them? We out with us and like someone would like hit so, on No, I guess I went out with friends, bars or clubs or whatever and just right. met people that way. But you never married? I never, no, oh. no. And you never had your own children? No, this is my child. Yeah, yeah. Oh, huh. yeah. huh. <laughs> uh, that's true. And how did that, I mean, how does that feel to you? You're raising this, these children, these two brothers. Did you feel marginalized in the family, or did no, I mean, how not did one you? bit. No, no, never, ever, never, ever. I was just so, one of always one of the family, and right. never ever did I feel. And what I don't know what that word. Yeah, is. The, the real question, marginal. The real question would be: Did my mom feel left out or or hurt because we were closer to Mark? No, no, uh -huh. she didn't. She always was happy that. They always had somebody else to go to. Even when I left them and I went home, 
if something really bothered them, they would phone me. Yeah. Because she always felt it was good for them to have somebody right. else. Like a lot of people would always say to her, aren't you jealous because they are closer to Mark? No. Yeah. No, because they've got always got someone to go to. Because yeah. most children, don't tell mum, don't tell mum, right. don't tell right. mum, isn't it? That's what it is. Right. Yeah. And, and they, you were younger than, than Neil's parents. I yeah. Imagine, quite yeah. A bit. yeah. And was your mother working? No. No, that's interesting. So yeah. there were two women in the house. Yeah. No, I was raised by two strict women. <laughs> that explains it all. Was Mark strict? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And what if there was a difference of opinion between you and, and Neil's mom as to how to handle a situation? Good question. That's a good question because I think, I think when I had Neil and Todd with me, I handled any situation that came up and right. vice versa. When we handled them differently, uh -huh. but they were new I suppose which one of us they took notice notice of the one they were with. Right. So when you were in the house, Neil's mom sort of had the the final say, but Whatever when you were that, out yeah. or she wasn't yeah, around, or somebody was there. Whichever person they were with. Did they ever try to play you off against oh, each other? Yes, yeah. of course, but it never worked. Right she, you can't get one. Past They're her. not too. They weren't too clever at that <laughs> because they would try and play you off, and I would. They'd come. Oh, can we do so and so? What did your mother say? Mum said no. Like, oh, we were honest to a fault. Man. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just, that's not, pretty bad negotiating. Yeah, it. they weren't too good at they weren't too good at that. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's the answer then, isn't it? Yeah, now yeah. I'd be oh. like, well, what's your? Don't you have your own opinion? Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can be yeah. more. Things have changed. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. And so, how long were you uh, were you in the house then? Well, Neil, were you about thirteen when I left? Neil, yeah. uh, Todd was eight, but he wasn't born, so yeah, about Neil was twelve or thirteen. Hmm. And why did you leave? Uh, I think it was time to go home. They didn't need, really need me anymore. They were get, getting more independent, and my family are all in England. Right. I think you miss your family. You know, I still, I, yeah, I still remember the day she told us she was leaving. And, yeah. uh, and I remember, like, you know, it was really, she called us into our room, and I remember exactly where we were, and I remember my brother crying. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I also, I waited until a vacation, because I knew that, that that would upset them, so I waited so that they'd have a couple of weeks mm. at home with me to mm. get used to the idea, and then they'd go back, because I didn't want them going back to school that day, and like, oh, right, right, right. my Mark's leaving me. So you left around 1980, somewhere 80, around there? 80, yeah, around there, yeah, 80, 80 So Reagan right. got elected, and you said, fuck this, yeah. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. I think John Lennon got shot, and I said it. Ah, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's Because that was around really, then, right? Yes, was it 79? Yes. 80. Was it 80? Yeah. Oh. In what, in what, in what, uh, was there a connection between that? Yeah. In uh, what way? Only that I thought, this is it, I don't want to stay here when people are getting shot. Wow. Like that's John Lennon, like my right. hero. Yeah. When they're shooting my hero, I just, there was a connection. But I also, I did miss my family. You could feel the end of an era. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they, as I say, they'd grown up. They didn't really come to me for much and they right. were out on their own with their friends. And so what was it like? You said, you know, you were sort of anticipating them being upset and not going to school the next day. And so what was it like for you? It's the same. That's your it's family. Same. Those are your it's kids. Exactly you the got, same. You're so connected. and Oh, yeah, it was a wrench to leave them. Yeah. But then again, I thought, where am I going here? I'm not going anywhere now. Right. I can't help to anything because they'd got their own interests. School was, you know, more important. They had their friends. They'd come in, have lunch, out they'd go, or have dinner, out they'd go. Oh, right. That's so, true. 
Yeah, I don't want to. So you'd sort of, your influence was more or less set at that point. A third wheel sort of thing, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Do you think the, re the reason mom brought you on was about mom's uh, handicapped? Do you think it was because she felt like she couldn't play with us because she was yes. handicapped? Yes, walk mainly. Yeah. She always wanted them to be uh, able to walk, to be independent. And that's why she took me on. Yes, yeah. because I knew she knew I'd walk with them and go out in the park with right. them and which she couldn't do. She would take them in the park and she would sit on the bench and watch them, obviously. Right. But I could go with them wherever they right. wanted to go, right. ice skate and all those sort of things. Was your mom in a wheelchair? Or no. Or yeah, no, she's just a... Uh, leg brace? Um, just like I got a one leg was sh uh, shorter than the other. Oh, okay. So very like hard for her to walk and uh, painful for her to walk uh, right. long distances. Right. Yeah. Right, wow. So and then, so you're back in England now. Did you move back with your your mother? My or? mother, yeah. My my mother, yeah. My uh. father died, and then just my mother, yeah. Uh. And then got work, and it's funny. She's too proud to use a wheel. She won't do a wheelchair. She won't do crutch. She won't do a walk or crutch. Anything. Right. So they're sort of like a you know. It's, people are funny. Like they'll yeah. You know, there's something that could help. And, and one doesn't do, I guess like people won't wear glasses, even though their vision's failing because they don't want to wear glasses yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So Everyone kind of feels that though. It's not right. just your mother. It's yeah. just yeah. a general, yeah. general thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And also I, you know, I can see how that would represent a capitulation in a way. Right. You know? Yeah. And then maybe people treat you differently or, yeah, mm. she doesn't like when people like, you know, look at her limping or look at any of that stuff. Yeah. Even photos. But anyway, I think I'm saying too much in front of Mark. Right, <laughs> you know, it's how private my mom is. It's so uh, funny that yeah. it's so interesting how the you know, she's my mom's super private. You know, you'll know, I don't even know her, you know, she's never told me her age, very secret. You don't secret. know your mother's age? Uh, no, she never told us her age. I knew I could have like snuck in, yeah, but she's very private where she went to school, very private with her whole life. Wow, and it's funny that I and her son ends up becoming a writer who just shares fucking everything. Yeah, yeah, I remember she said once, she said once. If I known you would were going to become a writer, I would have been nicer to you, <laughs> <laughs> or strangled you in the cradle. Yeah, or strangled you in the cradle. You know what? <laughs> and so I love, I love. Like I think one of the most exciting, like uh, I might have mentioned part of this later, but I think like, you know, your your early years of the DNA for who you're gonna, your yeah. DNA for who you're gonna become. Right. And so with ten. I've been keeping this diary of everything, mm. all his stories, all his memories, all our parenting decisions. He just turned two today. He just, we just put him to bed yeah. before he got here. Do you know, um, tomorrow's my birthday. No way. Ten oh, yeah. and I, awesome. and, and Darwin. Yeah, ten, you and Darwin. That's a, <laughs> and Lincoln. And Lincoln, yeah. 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 <laughs> I just it's found good, out. Good company. Yeah. yeah. That's funny, interesting. And, um, and uh, oh, so anyway, it's probably up to like 500, 600 pages. He may never read it, but, but in there, I think it'd be fun to see when he's older, like, oh, here's where this personality trait first manifested. Right. Here's how this developed. Or, you know, maybe um, you're trying to just figure out, well, why am I like this in relationships right. or whatever it is, but he'll have yeah. that story of who he was through my, obviously it's through my perspective, so it's biased to begin with. But I've tried yeah. to really be honest if we make a bad decision. Right. If, uh, or, or uh, a, mistake, a mistake or do something stupid, it's all. I try the to excruciating really thing must be that you don't, necessarily know when it's a bad decision you know you just have to do the best you can but yeah you have no but yeah you I, don't know I, how it's going to turn out it's funny and something i'm writing just now um i literally wrote that today which is like you have no idea you yeah. can do everything right and end up in a horrible place or, yeah. you know you have no idea and of course the time parenting when marg 
was parenting me, the idea of what's healthy is different than what's healthy now. Right. Um, and culturally, yeah, you're and coming culturally. from the UK. Mm-hmm. So how did you know, uh, like parenting decisions? You're but, but 20, the point, 21 year old. I want to say, yeah. but don't forget that question. Was, was a, but the point is, since you, can't, you don't know the outcome and you can't control the outcome, all you can control is, am I always doing, being conscious and doing my best? Right. That's the only thing you can, can, that's the only choice you have. You know, it goes back to that St. Augustine quote, love and do as you please. You know, I, I think about right. that a lot in terms of relationships. I, you know, I do these podcasts where I respond to letters I get from people asking right. for relationship advice. And I always come back to that. It's like, you know, explain, it, explain love and do you, as you please explain that a little. If, if you're acting out of love, Mm-hmm. then you're not going to make a mistake. Right. I mean, you may, you will make mistakes. Of course you'll make mistakes. Right. But the the thing that you want to avoid in all at all costs is inauthenticity, right. is is having a hidden agenda, is not facing your own bullshit and, and dumping it on someone else, you know, right. as a way to avoid facing yourself. Right. So if you're acting out of a sense of love toward yourself and toward the person you're you're engaging with, then even if you hurt them, they'll forgive you ultimately if they're acting out of love because they'll understand where you're coming from. You it's know what funny. I mean? Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's funny. In the truth, one of the lines in there is whatever the question is in your relationship, the right answer is love and compassion. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's always the right course to take. Exactly. And that might yeah. mean breaking up. It might mean staying together. It might mean, you know, it could mean everything. But... Uh, you know, it, it's like a North Star sort of a guiding principle of, right. yeah, authenticity. Are so, you asking Mark a question? Yeah, I was asking you, like, as a 21-year-old, 22-year-old, here you are in this family, you're thrust into a culture you didn't know that's, you know, how do you know what's the right move with these kids? I think the big thing is common sense. Mm-hmm. Common sense. You can see what's happening, you can think, and it's just plain Good old common sense. Hmm. No other thing, really. Right. So did you did you find that you raised them according to the same principles by which you were raised? Or did you say, yeah, I'm not going to do it the way my parents did it in many cases? A bit cases. of both, really. And huh. as I was raised strictly, but right. fairly. Right. I hope tried to be strict but fair with them. Right. But a lot of things... Like, so what do you think about hitting kids, for example? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do. Just you, a swat. I, th- I think it's fine. Have you hit Neil t- today? Yeah, several yeah. times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think is what is, is a problem. I mean, it's very un PC, I suppose, yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I would never, you know, strike ten in any way whatsoever, even the softest thing. Yeah. 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 It was people. It's not. Well, I think everything. Every generation is a different idea. I mean, I wouldn't beat them up or whatever. Yeah. But I think one slap on the legs is. I don't. See, there's a principle where, like, I remember my dad one time. I did something. I don't remember what it was, but I do remember it was really, really stupid and bad, and you know. And I remember him. He used to make a big ritual out of it if I was going to get spanked. You know what I mean? Like, like hand me my belt. <laughs> I think he used his belt maybe once, right. you know, and, but it was always like, go to your room and wait for me. And, you know, then he'd leave me up <laughs> yeah, there for a while, you know, and it's like, oh boy, now what have I done? Give me like time to think about it. torture at the same time. Yeah. And then, and then he would sit me down and explain why, explain why it was wrong. And I can remember the last time it happened. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember the last. And, it, it, you know, maybe there were four or five times in my childhood that he hit me, right? 
And, but I do remember the last time because I remember there were tears in his eyes. Oh, interesting. And I remember very clearly feeling like he hates doing this. Like he really doesn't want to do this. I wonder if he sent you up to your room, not out of psychological torture, but because he didn't want to strike you out of anger. Out of he anger. Himself that's it. Down. And that's why I say love and do as you please. Because mm, in right. that moment, I felt like this guy fucking loves me. Right. You know, he's not angry. He is angry. He's disappointed. He's, right. And he feels like he has to do this to really make the point that, right. kid, you messed up. And he would always say, like, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what you do. But you need to remember this isn't cool, man. Right. You know, it. So, yeah, I, I kind of feel like this whole hit, don't hit thing is sort of beside the point. It's whether the kid knows you love them or not, you know? I don't know. I don't have kids, so I'm free yeah, to just no, spout well, I whatever think, bullshit well, I, don't I think, want. I, I still think, like, the child possesses its own body and to say that their body's mine to, you know, it's just, I think... I don't, yeah, well, I don't but you're that. wiping their ass. You're right. feeding them. But that, but that, but, you that's, know, but that's, care, that's caring, you know, that's caring for them. And again, yeah. can you say, yeah, I just... There's just something that just yeah. feels not right about it. I yeah. mean, I'll give you another, no, another, you. another uh, thing. Uh, you know, it, it flew out of my head. Um, I forgot the Hunter-gatherers, uh, to my knowledge, never hit kids. Right. Uh, so to the extent that, you know, hunter-gatherer sort of parenting is irrelevant right. there's a beautiful book called the continuum concept right so you'll see it on my shelf you right have it right i love there. that book yeah i but always I, give that to yeah. new parent friends of mine and i think most also a lot of parents hit kids out of anger and they're just sending that's a huge mistake the child yeah it's a horrible yeah it's, it's and then your t- it's the same thing with dogs you know i have a, a guy i'm going to interview actually is a dog trainer for hollywood movies right. tarantino movies he's done like tv shows and stuff and uh, it's really interesting talking with him about uh, how you train dogs, and it's always positive reinforcement, right. never yeah. negative. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. yeah, that's it. I also noticed too, like you know, yelling no, like treating a child where you're yelling no and things that you wouldn't scare them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like yeah. It's not. Uh, it's so. It's so interesting. What's so interesting? What things we do to our child? I was thinking of some great example, but it, uh, I'll it'll come back to it. As a parent, the thing I think I I would be most afraid of is. Those situations where you're teaching the kid to live in a pathological world. So you come to this fork in the road where it's like, do I teach him to live in this world or do I? It's like that movie Captain Fantastic, right? Have you seen it? Yeah, I, that, that disappointed me, that movie. Well, the ending was rushed. The ending it. was ridiculous. Yeah, it was, it was it, so stupid. It felt like stupid. they ran out of time, but the first, everything up the ending was great. Yeah, no, yeah. The, the lead up was fantastic. Yeah, the ending just but, but then, I, when I was watching it, I'm like, this could be like, the best movie ever, and then they just destroyed it. At the, the funeral, ending. everything yeah. just fell apart. It's funny, like, when, I, oh, when, when I'm writing a book, I'm always like, it has to begin well so someone wants to read it, and it has to end well so they feel like this is what they remember it well. You can yeah. slack in the middle, but <laughs> yeah, the beginning exactly, and the end have to be great. Exactly. Um, exactly. But, uh, but the point you were making was... Well, what, you know, it's like you, you, there must be moments where you're like, okay, am I teaching this kid to be a, an exceptionally happy, wonderful person, or am I teaching this kid to live in the world the way it is? Right. And I, I can see where there are... There are conflicts between those two impulses, you know. And what do you? And what do you? What is the world the way it is? The world the way it is it, is it's about production. You got to study really hard. You get you know if you you find your kid is supposed to be studying for some exam and instead he's you know playing music, 
you know, like uh, on a flute. And it's like, oh, he's got this musical talent. He really wants to do that, but he has that test tomorrow. And if he doesn't do well in this test, then he's not going to get into that school. And he doesn't get into the school. He's not going to. And it's like, do I keep him on the wheel of productivity or do I let him just do whatever the hell he wants to do and follow his interests, you know? Right. I mean, I mean, but I think everyone listening knows the answer is the latter. I was listening. I was listening. Well, to, ideally right. it is, but uh, a lot of people yeah. are driving their kids through school. You know, you got to get into Harvard. And that is the world the way it is. That's just sort of like a cult, the cult, our cultural narrative. Yeah. Um, but it's. I was listening to, and it's a weird thing to quote because it's someone who I like. I, I don't. Anyway, I was listening. I was. I'm saying this with some apologies. I don't know why, but I was reading a Deepak Chopra book. Is a book on tape called The Seven Deepak Spiritual Logic. Deepak Chopra. I know. See, that's my same thing I would say, right? <laughs> However, I'm just going to go if with this. If this involves quantum mechanics, I'm going to kick you, all right? Well, uh, it actually does. Oh. No, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't. Look at that. Look at that. Look, look at look at. Here's this open minded guy. I say this name, Deepak. Look, look at his body language yes, got all stiff. Yes, like, yes. it's like. Because he's like so said, full of shit. But, 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 okay, I'll tell you what. All right. It doesn't really matter whether everybody's full of shit in their yeah. own in some way. Yeah. But it's like a good it's, quote's a good quote. It's just like it's just like the Facebook comments. Is there something I can you can learn from it? Uh-huh. But what he was saying, but I, but it just relates to the discussion. He was saying he told his kids like doesn't matter about grades, doesn't matter what you do, just like do the stuff that you love and you're awesome at, and and keep doing it and think about you know. He basically said find out what you're really uniquely. Yeah, it's something that's funny before reading. It's something I actually teach anyway separately I think anyone smart teaches this is finding the thing you're uniquely qualified to do and thinking right. about how it serves or helps the world in some way Yeah, and that's all he taught his kids and said forget about school grades all that bullshit and again they ended up getting great grades going to great schools so I don't even think telling someone you've got to get good grades and you've got to study helps them get into that great school anyway Yeah, or be happy or succeed in life <laughs> I happen to be sitting I, I was speaking at an event uh, that Deepak Chopra was speaking at as well. It was uh, Idea City in Toronto. Uh-huh. Right. It's like a TED kind of thing, right. yeah. And uh, I happened to be sitting uh, next to another speaker who was a nuclear physicist uh, who had spoken earlier. So then Deepak was up there and he was doing his shtick about quantum mechanics and yada yada yada. And and I thought this is this is what what I've always wanted, right. you know, because it sounds like bullshit to me. But what do I know about right. nuclear physics? So I turned to the guy next to me and I said. Does this make sense? And he said, "This is total bullshit." Right. Now, 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 let's go back to science or whatever. Like, let's just say, and again, it's he's probably coming from a perspective. It depends on like what is the uh, what is the platform that you're standing on. Like, from the platform of a physicist is bullshit, but from maybe a spiritual perspective, these are metaphors for the way he sees the spiritual world. Well, but he's talking about physics, right? But and again, I think he's talking about physics from. And again, I don't know. I didn't hear that talk. Yeah. But, but he did say things in the book that I thought were funny where he'd talk about things as if they were facts versus, yeah. you know, but funny yeah. about, but I think he's got his view of the way the world works that serves yeah. him. And I'm sure yeah. God is, well, whoever, like, you know, let's just say there's a God that's looking at that physicist and yeah. saying, that guy is fucking full of shit. <laughs> like, that guy thinks he knows how the universe fucking operates. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. You know, like, who, so, so yeah. but, but the point being that it's funny that, that uh, you had this instant reaction to Deepak, to Deepak Chopra. Is it because of that story? Or is it just because well, I've, you I've come, what's... Deepak and I have crossed paths several times right. in the speaker world. Right. I was again, I was in a place in Mexico, in Puebla. It was called uh, Ciudad de las Ideas. Right. Again, a TED thing, but the Mexican version. And uh, yeah, Deepak was, I was there with Deepak and, and Richard Dawkins and Robert Sapolsky and Helen Fisher and a lot of really interesting, right. David Buss was there. And uh, yeah, and... Um, and oh, actually, backstage in the green room, I was talking with a guy 
who I didn't know who he was, and he asked me what I thought of Deepak Chopra, and I was like, look, he seems like a really nice guy, and I, he's smart, and he's a medical doctor. He's, he's, but he, was it you who said, I never trust a spiritual never person in the material world? Yeah, that's my line. Yeah. I, I think I might have even used that yeah, line, yeah. Right? right? And I was like, right. if he's so, if it's also wisdom, like why why the diamonds on his glasses? Right. You know are what there, I mean? Are there, are there really? Yeah, okay. he's, like, he's so, you know, yeah. glitzy. That's, that's, Do you know who we're talking about, no, Mark? No, not really. He's this Indian-American sort of mystic scientist who, a guru mm. kind of guy. And very into money, lots of gold, lots of diamonds, lots of like you can think your way to prosperity, and uh, you know one he of those guys. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he did. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, so he asked me what I thought of him, and I, you know, I like did what I just did with you, like sort of, oh my god, that guy's right. so full of shit. Um, and he laughed, and I said, yeah. And then what do you think? And he's like, well, um, I'm actually. He hired me to do a documentary about him, and I'm here filming. His, <laughs> right, you know, right. I'm like embedded, sort of, with the Deepak Chopra organization. I was like, oh fuck! I was like, like, uh, can we be off the record? He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, um, but he said, um, I was like, so what? You know, what are you seeing? And he's like, well, look, he is a nice guy. Actually, I've spent weeks with him. You know, um, he said, but the thing is, Deepak thinks this is all a dream. So it doesn't matter what he says. Right. Nothing matters. It's all just a dream. So it's That's like, awesome. yeah. That's awesome, man. <laughs> but Charles Manson thought the same thing, right. you know? Exactly. Exactly. That's it. It's and maybe like, they're right. Who, who knows? The, yeah. Who is the, who knows? What, what role are you playing with that dream? You're yeah. not the dreamer, right? Yeah. Or, or it is your dream. It depends on the dreamer, I guess, if it's all a dream. I was, I was listening to an interview with uh, Barbara Kingsolver. Yeah. And she said something that struck me. And, you know, I've heard it said many times, but they were talking about the state of the world. And she said, look, I'm an optimist. I have to be an optimist. I have children. And I thought, how funny it is that we accept the necessity to be an optimist because you have children. And I understand that on an emotional level. And it makes right. me veer away from certain subject matter when I'm talking to someone who has children because I don't want to bum them out. Oh, you interesting. Know? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think like that. I have children. I don't think like that. But it's weird how we, it's like I have to be an optimist because. It doesn't make sense to me. It, that's like saying I have to be a Christian because, like, maybe God's there, you it, know? It's like it's saying like, people who help others don't get PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. It's a callback. You know? How is it like that? <laughs> just a callback. Now I'm confused. <laughs> what I mean is, like, it just doesn't scan. <laughs> it scans perfectly. It scans perfectly. So, but, oh, but, um, uh, Shit, man, we, don't, we, we, we talk so far past. I get these great thoughts to share, and then we, uh, we go past them. Anyway, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Fun. Oh, no, I remember. Well, it's like, like truth is truth. Right. That's how it relates to right. Deepak. It's like what is what's truth, true dude? is, well, and that's, that's <laughs> right. science, right? Because if we're, if we're moving well, away we, from we, we the idea that... We just deconstructed science 20 minutes ago. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> right. I mean, we're saying that, that a lot of science is corrupt, right. but science is a methodology, right? right? Yeah. And so if we're saying like that methodology has been abandoned in you know overwhelmed by commercial interests in in many cases it is but you know physics is physics and it doesn't matter who's paying for the experiment it's either it either works out or it doesn't the formula works or it doesn't right. it solves mathematics is mathematics there's no you know it doesn't matter if you're black or jewish or you know who's supporting your research so there are scientific zones that are uh, immune to that sort of influence. So I think science does exist. And, and, you know, there are methodologies. You can do the same kind of sexual research, for example, 
where your your um, subject pool contains is far more more people, and it contains people from different backgrounds and different ages. It's much more expensive to do. It's much more tedious to do, but it is a higher level of accuracy. So I think science exists. It's just the way we do it, and then the way it's reported. By the time it gets to the average person, it's you know it's like homeopathy. It's like there's right. one molecule for every twenty gallons of crap, you know, of, of liquid. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, How it's yeah. diluted and then diluted and right. then diluted. And anyway, I don't know. Yeah, no, no it's interesting. I'm just so I'm just, yeah, yeah, this yeah. whole like Deepak Chopra, it's all a dream, nothing matters. Right. So I was thinking, but, but, like, I mean, but it could be right. It could be right, and it's also <laughs> there is. See, what makes it really confusing for me is there is an effect. Like, if you are an optimistic person, it's demonstrably true that you're less likely to have certain diseases. You, right. Uh, you know. Yeah, that's true. I was just thinking two things. One is it's interesting that who know that you took the this guy's quote about what T. Prox Chopra said is true. Maybe he never said it to that guy or that 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 physicist again was right about T. Who know, he even knows if they're right. But here's the bigger point. Uh, there's a great movie called The Apostle with uh, I think Robert Duvall. Have you ever seen that? I have. That's a great movie. It's a great movie. But the point he's of like the movie, a southern preacher. That's it. Yeah, he's a southern preacher, and he's like just a fucked up guy. Yeah, leads a horribly sinful life. Yeah. But he's a great preacher for his flock. Right. And I think the message of that movie, or at least what I took the message to be, is like, um, you don't have to be, it's okay, you know, you can be a hypocrite, bad person, <laughs> you can not practice what you preach and teach, uh-huh. but you can still be a good teacher that helps other people. So, you know, if so, and because we live in a culture where they can discredit the messenger, yeah. and thus that discredits the message. And to me, that's not true. The thing is, is there a message I can learn from anyone? Right. Well, that's interesting. You know, because example, let's just say this. Uh, do um, what I say, not what I do. Right, or or not even do do. Maybe there's some things I say that maybe true. It might be worthwhile. That'll helps helps you and ignore the fucking rest. Yeah. Who even knows if it's true? But does it serve you? Right. Right. Um, you know, and like I just think. But uh, then doesn't that contradict that I don't trust the spiritual person in the material world? Because aren't aren't you then? I mean, isn't that the whole point of that statement that you're saying who is this person and I'm going to judge what they say by how they're living? Right, right. But I mean, it's different than like uh, become, become, being their business partner versus is there something I can learn from them or being their follower mm, yeah. is there something I can learn from them. I remember, like when yeah. Tom Cruise, Tom, I did a, I write, I was doing a piece for Rolling Stone on Tom Cruise. Right. Um, and he took me around the entire Scientology Center sat me down, read me stuff out of the Scientology books, and we all, we've all seen the documentaries at this yeah. point. If we haven't, they're great. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and at the end, I told them, and I meant clean. it. I said, you know, there's some good shit in here. Right. Like, there's some good, and I would just study, I would look at this, just like maybe I would look at the, you know, reading Buddhism, or the yeah. Bible, or the Koran, or, right. or, or philosophy, you know, all the great works of wisdom. I, I, this would be something else that there's good stuff to learn from, but I wouldn't become a Scientologist. Right. And what did you say to that? Uh, I mean... He asked me nice to make some writing story on him, so who knows what he thought. But he said, uh, yeah, he said, oh, I get that. I see that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah inter- I was speaking about this with someone. It might have been Moshe Kasher, who you right. introduced me to yeah, a long yeah. time ago. Yeah, he yeah, and I have become friends. Serious show at the radio yeah. Doing. Yeah. Well, I was with him yesterday. Oh, no way. Uh, at his place. And, we, were, you know, he was in AA for a long time. Right. And uh, we were talking about his experiences in AA and... I think it was with him that this came up because we were also talking about hallucinogens and the guy, like one of the main guys at AA had done LSD and I, I don't remember. The, like a Bill W or something? Yeah, I think oh. it was Bill W, yeah. Um, but anyway, someone was saying that one of the, 
was it I can't remember exactly what it was, but there were like someone was shared an apartment with L. Ron Hubbard when they were young. Maybe it was like a, a science fiction writer. I can't remember who it was, but they shared an apartment and they would like hang out and get high and come up with these crazy ideas. And the one guy went on to become a famous science fiction writer and the other guy went on to become L. Ron Hubbard, who was also right. a science fiction writer for right. a while, right? And what they were saying was like from the beginning it was a put on right like he never believed any of this shit about the you know extraterrestrial whatever i don't even know all the he was just designing it, it was just a story I mean, is it a lot he, of religion a system for control all exactly. basically right. i think yeah so he's that so he's the most religious guy there is then <laughs> <laughs> well i mean that gets into this question right of like do you have to believe it yourself you know and as as a writer obviously right. your answer you're is no this. i see where you're going okay you know i tell a story right. i mean who was it james joyce said when i was a kid they called it lying now they call it literature right right you know? was so, neil was neil a liar did he did he tell you fanciful stories yeah yeah, all kids do though, not just Neil. <laughs> yeah, but but some kids are more sort of creative and, yeah, and committed. Yeah, I think he was on the creative side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember any particularly outlandish? No, no? not really. But he, he could tell. He could tell them. <laughs> yeah. Have you read any of his books? Yeah, most of them. Really? Yeah. What's yeah, your... well, I get them free. <laughs> <laughs> every every book I write, I autograph a copy to Morgan. Ah, nice. yeah, or get autographed. Right. And do you do oh, you have true. any? Yeah, I have these ones you're looking at, the yeah, Manson ones. ones that, yeah, I've got these autographed. Trudan Jameson, Molly Cray had them all signed, yeah. copies to her. Had him, he had them signed. Well, I've got this one autographed, that one by Marilyn, Marilyn Manson. Manson. Uh, yeah. Don't try this, this at home. This one by Dave Navarro. I think Marilyn Manson's was the best. He wrote. Oh, hi, Mark. I don't really know, Neil. He paid me to write this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see. You get him autographed by, yeah, the, the, yeah, subject, by the subject. Right, right. Right. The, Did the you get a Jenna Jameson autograph? It's though? not been autographed, that one. Oh, you know what? Oops. I'll have to do that. Mm, yeah, I've got it, but it's not been autographed, yeah. And we, do you have a favorite? Of all the books. And we don't have to talk about um, this if it makes you uncomfortable. But, no, uh, I do. Uh, you hate them all. Favorite? No, I don't. What did you think of the game? Yeah, I, I like the game. I like Emergency as well. That's the sort of thing you can dip in and out of, hmm. which I like in Emergency. Yeah. Yeah. And the, what was the one they'll, they'll talk about me when I'm dead or something? Yeah, I like that one. That's yeah. another one. That's another one you can, one you can, can dip can, in yeah, and out. I like those It's a good bathroom books. book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like yeah. that sort of book. I haven't read that one. That's a James like one. a porn yeah. star. Yeah. Yeah. I like Dave and Tra Don't Try This at Home, actually. I like that. Well, they're all, and Motley Crue, I like that one. Yeah, yeah, that one's fun. Do you like Motley Crue good. as a band? No, not really. But Are you like still it. into music a lot? Not as much now, because I don't like modern music. So, but do you still listen to a lot 60s of... the 60s music, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do you listen to? What, like, what's your sort of standard Sunday afternoon? Yeah, same old, same clean old. Beatles, house. Yeah, yeah, Beatles, that. Do you prefer later Beatles, red no. red album or blue album? Yeah, I prefer the like Rubber Soul, Revolver, and that. Oh era. yeah, Rubber mm -hmm. Soul, Revolver, a Abbey Road. Abbey, Those are like the yeah, that's, that's like my the yeah, right that's there. my and the yeah. John Lennon solo stuff you like. Yeah, I love the John Lennon yeah. solo stuff. Hmm. I like Elton John. 
Yeah. And much to uh, Neil's dismay, I like Rod Stewart. <laughs> well, <laughs> I like his singing. And Peter Frampton, that was the other yeah, one. Yeah, that's. I was trying to think of his name. I'm thinking all that Leo Sayer, that was another record you had. Yeah, that's it. I was thinking Leo Sayer. What did he sing? You make me feel like yeah, he had a crazy voice. Oh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who was it was kind of like a pre, like kind of a disco. Pop yeah, yeah. Thing. He had a big afro, a, a Jew. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, he looked like the greatest American hero. There was a Jack Rabbit, Steve Forbert. Do you remember him? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He had a yeah, very yeah. weird voice. Yeah, that yeah. was really nice, though. He yeah. had a couple songs. I looked him up again. He his song was Jack Rabbit Slim. That was his like right. one hit wonder right. kind of song. Um, but then I looked him up years later, just because it sort of popped into my head, and uh, and he has a couple. Yeah. He has a song called "It Is What It Is and That's All." Right. He's had. I remember seeing a beautiful line. tune. Yeah, he's, he's had like a prolific career too. It's not yeah. just he's, he's more substance than that. Yeah. I'm, yeah. And I'm fascinated by like there's some bands that we know as pop bands, but then later on went went to do really obscure great work, mm. like uh, the last two Talk Talk albums. Oh, Talk Talk. I, and then yeah. the Mark Hollis solo album. I don't like, know him. Have you ever heard their later albums? Uh, they're ama- they're amazing. They're like artworks. They're um, like pieces of art. Talk talk. Mark Hollis is he's the singer from Talk Talk. Uh, okay, so and they're are they British? Yeah. Um, Wizard Voices uh, Talk Talk. No, I'm thinking I'm getting confused with it. Tells you was their big hit. Talk talk. Oh my, my, my it's I uh, gotta my life. give it up. Oh, it's my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and uh, Colin Hay. Do you know him? The, yeah. He was frontman for Men at Work. Yeah. Um, he'd come from the line down under Did and all he that shit. Do, I didn't, he's been he's solo. He's got like right. six or seven solo oh, records that are wonderful. I'll check him out. Really, like one of my favorite songs of all time, uh, "Beautiful World." It's called. Right. I'll check it out. Yeah, it, it really captures like this this conundrum of life. It's uh, let's see. I, I can probably remember all the lyrics. My my my, it's a beautiful world. Um, I like swimming in the sea. I like to get out beyond the white breakers where a man can still be free or a woman if you are one. Yeah, I like swimming in the sea. And then it's, uh, my, 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 it's a beautiful world. I like drinking Irish tea with a little bit of Lapsang Sushan. Yeah, I like making my own tea. I don't, I don't feel like that's a huge jump for men at work. <laughs> well, <laughs> I but, must be honest. No, but, but, but listen. Okay, but, but listen. And then it goes a huge on. artistic leap. And then it goes on. There's the, the sort of, uh, the, what's it called? The bridge, you know, all around his anger. And, but the point is... I like song, video games. No, 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 no. Come on, Neil. Hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Play with on. me if you may. He says, and then it's like he says... Um, Oh, shit, now you took me <laughs> off it. You okay. ruined the mood, okay. Neil. But the point of the song is, uh, he says, uh, is, is this all there is? It's like he says, um, sometimes I think this is all there is, right? And um, he says, oh, fuck, Neil, you ruined it. Uh, I leave the party early, but at least with no regrets. I watch the sun as it comes up. I watch it as it sets. Yeah, this is as good as it gets. And then he said, and then he goes back. In my mind, it's a beautiful world. I like sleeping with Marie. She says she doesn't love me, but she likes my company. For now, that's good enough for me. So the point of the song is, I like these little details. There are these little details about life that give me pleasure: swimming in the sea, driving in my car, drinking tea, sleeping with Marie. She doesn't love me, but this is it. 
this is what life is. You know, John Lennon said, life is what happens when you're making other plans. plans. I think that's what he's getting at in that song. It's like, yeah, you can like try to be famous. You can try to be rich. You can, you know, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, what's going to make you happy or not is if you take a minute to make your own tea and enjoy the process. Like the book it's of, a Zen yeah, thing, yeah, right? You know, it's actually chop wood, carry water, or yeah, something. Yeah, and the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, that's the that's the message in there. Is just like work, you know, choose your little patch, patch of land, work hard, right. and die knowing it won't have really made a difference. Right, or Voltaire, like tend your own garden. Right. Yeah, it's so, it's it's always the same message. It you really know? is, man. It's the details. That's so, all there is. You know. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. I really do think that it's fun, that 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 at the pinnacle of different traditions of wisdom. Yeah. Deepak Chopra being the very pinnacle, of course, <laughs> um, <laughs> that they all have the same message. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's so, uh, I should probably cruise and eat, but, um, but, uh, but uh, one yeah. thing that I have in my library, which is, see those books with the placards there? I used to have them in, in, our, in an office when we had an office. Oh, uh, right? yeah. But they're my favorite books, and everyone who comes to the library leaves with one, so is there anything here you haven't read? This side, this side is the literature, so go with the, go with the literature. Oh wow, wow! That's okay. I've read Ulysses. Uh, I'll I'll just read the the books that are here. Oh, there know, there are a lot of them. So yeah, you've got you, Ulysses. You know I think you might dig if you read Italo Calvino, If on a Winter's. Oh, you know what? I don't think I have. It's genius. It's written in the second person, uh-huh. and, and it's it's great. It's a book about reading. Or if uh-huh. you read Ask the you know shit, they're all so good. Uh, Jersey Kaczynski, The Painted Bird, amazing, amazing book, a lovely, strange, and you know he was with. He was with Roman Polanski the night that the Mansons killed Polanski's wife. Do you know that? They were flying together from Europe. They, they were in Europe together because they're both Polish, right? Um, they were flying back. They had a layover in New York. They, their flight was delayed. They missed the layover, so they spent the night in New York. That was the night the Mansons killed Sharon wow. Tate. And he was supposed to, uh, Polanski was supposed to be home that night, wow. but he wasn't. And then Kaczynski killed himself in yeah, New York in a bathtub. Yep, yep. Amazing book. Yeah, anyone who hasn't read The Painted Bird, that is a very by the way, special they, book. They, they removed the afterword from the book for some reason, the new edition. So I found it, and I found actually all, and this is how obsessed I am, I found all the lost afterwords to it. There are several of them. I put them all up on my website. Mm. So if you just search my name, Jersey Kaczynski, after you read it. Really? Read the top afterword there. Oh, cool. It, it actually brings, it brings the book home when he talks about what happened to him since, what part is based on his memories, which again, you know, had been kind of disproven and proven. It doesn't matter. Right. It, but the afterwards is... is it's it, sort of, it's a memoir of his time as a child in World War II where he, he basically had, what would we call it, hysterical mute? He, he didn't speak right. for years. Right. And, 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 it's and he was an orphan, right? right? His and, parents and were killed. People, but a lot of people say, they discredit and said it wasn't true, this never happened. It doesn't matter because all literature is lies, as we said before. Um, so a lot of people discredit, yeah. but what it's really about is like, okay, we focus in on the cruel. He said that the cruelty within people right. is what made the horrors of World War II happen. So he's like, he, these are just in the villages and the, right. and, 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 and that. But world. there was also kindness. People took him in and, and then there was kindness protected too. him. Yeah. Uh, Ask the Dust by John Fante. Have you read that? I don't know that, the no. the greatest books ever. It's really? The greatest, it's basically about a struggling, self-hating writer, so I totally relate, who's doing, you know, um, and basically... You're not struggling or self-hating. What do you mean you relate, you bullshitter? You bullshitter. Mark, smack him. Smack him. Another smack Um, for him. If if this guy's struggling, then I'm failing. Just straight up failing. (laughs) So, um, So basically the story behind Ask the Dust and John Fante, who, by the way, 
check this out. He lived in this neighborhood, um, and I'll show you. I'll show you later on the other side. I have a, um, I've, uh, some neighbors gave me an autograph book that he wrote. So. Oh, in this this neighborhood yeah. full of struggling writers. Yeah, yeah, struggling, yeah. He's full of struggling. Yeah, we're writers. by the way, we're in a we're in a very small basement apartment in uh, <laughs> in South Central Los Angeles. There's no like there are rats scurrying about. Internal, man. This so, is uh, so um, <laughs> we're in it. What, so what, what is it called Lukowski. in Russia? In a turret or something? A turret, what it, uh, no, what do they call it? A garret. A garret. Yeah, a garret. Yeah, a turret <laughs> would, be, would be different. In a, in a tank. Um, yeah. So, uh, Oh, so Charles Bukowski was a struggling, um, a struggling... Charles Bukowski. No, John Fonte. Wait, what's going on? (laughs) Aren't we talking about Ask the Dust? Yeah, kind of like your stories, they wrap back around. (laughs) Okay, So So Charles Bukowski, who didn't write this book. You know, worked in the post office, struggling writer. Alcoholic. Went to the New York Public Library. So, you know, know, he's just uh, read John Fonte's Ask the Dust. After he read it, he said, this is how I need to write. And then became Charles Bukowski. Really? So this is the, and I like it better than Bukowski. Yeah, I'm not a huge Bukowski fan. I'm not a huge Bukowski, but I'm a huge John Fante fan. I could read about, you know, fucking and puking just so much before I'm kind of done. He's so fucking, I mean, you know, I'm not going to read you passages, but he's so good. So, All right. Uh, yeah. Life is Elsewhere, Milan Kundera, uh, Unbearable Lightness of Being is the most, probably the most important novel in my life. I've yeah. read it five or six times. Yeah. It changed the course of my life, literally, um, because a guy I saw in a restaurant reading it, I sat down and started talking to him. He ended up hiring me to be his assistant, and I ended up living in Manhattan no for three years because yeah. I said, I That's love amazing. that book. Yeah. Um, have you read Life is Elsewhere? Yeah, I've yeah. I've read that the the book of laughter and forgetting. Uh, that, I, that that have a list of immortality things I have to read over there that I haven't read yet. So. I, I find the book of laughter and forgetting and the unbearable lightness of being are very similar uh-huh. structurally and stylistically. Right. So I really like those two a lot. What's great about life is elsewhere. <clears> I think <throat> I think about it all the time. Is it somebody who's born to be a great artist? And a great, again, this is my interpretation. Fifteen years later, but yeah. born to be born, born to be a great artist. He's born to be a great poet, but along the way, his you know, issues with his mom and family and his, uh, the politics of the time turn mm. him into a total hack. Yeah. So that book is to read as a reminder of to stay on your path and not get off it. Oh, to interesting. Me. Interesting. Okay. Then we have Gabriel Garcia Marquez, a hundred years of solitude, read it a long time ago and found it about 99 years too long. Right. I, I got bored by it, I loved it. but, yeah. um, I should, I should actually, that's a book I should read in Spanish. Um, yeah, that'd be, I'd be that'd be great. Seneca, on the shortness of life, it's life great. is long if you know how to use it. Penguin Book of Great Ideas. No, dude, that's it. That's the one you're taking. It's two thousand years old. Could have been written today, and it's all about. Uh, and his point is, he was the yeah the Stoic, the yeah, first Stoic. Got, yeah, I've read Seneca. Right. Yeah, he was very anti-commercial. You know, get back to basics. Kind yeah. of a Thoreau of yeah, ancient it's really Greece, like right? Time management book. It's not letting people things. Huh waste your time simplify simplify have you read walden yeah but it's been a while yeah that's that's probably that's actually probably a more important book in my life than uh the unbearable lightness oh, in what way? well because i mean if you look at the the sort of uh you know the way i've lived my life it's been about simplify simplify and cut shit down to its basics and don't right. get caught up in money and uh you know ambition and blah 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 it's like whatever success i've had i've sort of stumbled into you know right um yeah i i really enjoy that book and uh, you know i i turned away from 
a promising career as an academic and went and traveled the world basically the same way he went to go live in the woods for a year like right. to just figure out what before i try to live let me figure out what what that this means is. you know yeah. like let's stop now and think this through before i take another step in what may be the wrong direction great i'm gonna reread that it's been a long oh it's time. a wonderful book and have you read this one if uh so two i'll point out uh calvino's if if on a winter's night oh you said you hadn't read that so i haven't great. read that it's just no. and then um and over here Grab that one, or Russell Hogan, Ridley Walker, far, far left. Rid, uh, oh, this, I've heard of this one. I might have shown it to you before. Maybe yeah, but I, I think I bought it, but I it's, don't think I've read just it. Just turn to any page and read like uh, uh, three sentences. He said, I'm mostly out of myself. I'm mostly elser listening like I do. That's what brings on the fit sometimes. I'll listen some things in too strong when the vibrations of it move in on my empty space and I have to struggle back to my connection. So, and, and by the way... By the way, this is written phonetically. Yeah. And so this is, it's a post-post-apocalyptic book, which is human culture. Human, humanity has destroyed itself entirely, which oh. is not that far-fetched. And, uh, and this is maybe, I forget what it is, but let's say it's 2,000 years later. And humanity's come back and they've had to reinvent both writing, language, and the mythology. It's entire, and the entire mythology of humanity has been reinvented. And wow. It takes place there. And so it's written in that new pigeon language. Wow. It's, it's a work of genius. Um, speaking of post-apocalyptic, mm -hmm. I was out uh, two weeks ago, I was out at the Salton Sea. Oh, it's amazing, right. Have you been out yeah. there? Bombay yeah. Beach and yeah. the Slab City and East it's Jesus and, and all that? And it may not be there anymore. It's already a wreck as, as it is. It definitely is a great place to take photos. Yeah. <clears throat> but they pump some water into what's left of the Salton Sea to keep it there. Mm. But I think they're just passing a law that they're gonna stop doing that, so it's gonna get even more decrepit, I heard. Mm. Someone just told me this, so this is secondhand. It's still huge, it's 30 miles by 15 yeah. miles. It's a massive lake in the middle of desert. Right, and at one point, Right, there was like a health spa there in like the 60s or Yeah, in the 50s, it was like a but, fashionable place for, you know. And now of, it's like trailer parks, dead fish, rotting, rotting trailers. Yeah, it's supposed yeah. to park. And my buddy Tao, yeah, you know Tao, Tao you know Tao, yeah. yeah. He's really into it and right. he's he's got a house there. Really? And, yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, he does, I should see if, uh, if you're up for it, you should come and uh, you could you could speak actually he's i'm going to be speaking he he does this a uh, bombay beach biennale uh -huh. and he did the first one last year uh jeff dyer spoke yeah uh you know have you yeah, read yeah. out of sheer rage no it's a great oh it's a great book okay. really good book okay. um he's a very good writer anyway he's a friend of taos he spoke there last year i think he's speaking there again this year i'm gonna give a talk the theme is the future isn't what it used to be and uh, he's there. All these artists are going to be there. Massive Attack is going right. to be playing uh, a show there. Like he just, because he's so connected, and right. you know everyone loves him. He's such a cool guy. And so anyway, he's like trying to like revitalize it and bring interesting people oh, interesting. in. And That's he just cool, loves man. the aesthetics of yeah. that sort of post post apocalyptic thing. Yeah, and he bought a house right near uh, Joshua Tree. Right. And he's out there now, living out there. It's beautiful. Anyway, uh, the tools by so, Brian. So Schultz. now you're on the other side. That's more like for like game people. Oh, okay. That, that's more like uh, those are the books that influence that. So oh, okay. So these are these are the literature books here. Right. Yeah, yeah. Good selection. I'll tell you what. As, as a closer, I'm going to read my favorite first paragraph. Sure. My favorite. It's not my. The book's great, but it's probably the best first paragraph ever. Can you reach? I can find it. Yeah. Yep, there it is. Um, and by the way, so these are all my favorite fiction books up there. Um, I see Thomas Pynchon, Gravity's Rainbow. Pretentious. <laughs> um, you got to read uh, the dwarf. Oh, these have you read these two? Cormac McCarthy. 
Have you read uh, Celine, Celine Journey to the End of the Night? Dude, you'd love it. I don't know. And the dwarf. You know, it's been a long time since I've read for pleasure, man. You got to. What are you this reading, is, man? I'm reading for my work, for right, you know, you, research. I'm reading anthropology papers. And when, when I'm researching, I read the research. But when I'm writing, I read literature to like for style. For style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this is a great book, The Dwarf by Per Per Lagerkvist. Uh, no. uh, he I know. I don't read things by foreigners. You know. Right, right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, like Milan Kundera, for example. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's American in uh, spirit. You'll, you'll, you'll love this. you got to read this. The Dwarf by Per Lagersvist. Is he Danish? Uh, it's really about, and I guess I, I guess I have a theme of trying to understand man. Oh, he has the Nobel Prize in literature in 1950. Yeah, he died in Sweden. Right. So anyway, we got silent because we started reading our books. Oh, okay. yeah. I was going to read this paragraph. But this I didn't. I forgot. Yeah, where. Yeah, I know. I know. It's funny. So did I. I was, I was, I was looking. Um, uh, so, sorry, sorry, folks. Your, so, your equipment is fine. There's no problem. You know what's a good, you know, it's a good podcast. Radio. We forget that radio we're on. We're doing Mark, uh, we were counting on you to fill I know, in. I was thinking, yeah. no, should I jump in here? Yeah. What What do you read? Do you, other than Neil's books, do you no, have a... Fiction. I read stories. I like stories. Short stories? Yeah, short stories. No. Uh-huh. Do you have a particular author you like no, or a style? No, not at all. I, I tend to just I go on the library e-books now and I just yeah. pick. Oh, that sounds good, and I pick it. And you ever read, read like a Raymond Carver? You yeah. ever heard him? Do you yeah. like his that yeah, sort of minimalist style? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I like him. Tobias Wolf. You ever heard of him? No. He's no. same style, but I like him better than Raymond Carver. I think he's he's written novels as well uh this boy's life is a memoir that was turned into a film starring leo dicaprio and uh, robert de niro you ever seen that film neil that's a really good film no i you know but i have a do you know thomas tobias wolf yeah yeah he has a short story it's one of my favorite short stories ever and it's apropos of what we're talking about it's called the liar no it's um it's a kid who's on a bus and uh, the bus breaks down and they're caught in a storm and they have to sit there and wait for the tow truck to come. And the kids may be 10, 11, something like that. And so these people, these strangers are stuck there waiting and they, there's nothing to do. So somebody, the woman sitting next to him, uh, asks him, you know, so what's your story? And he's, oh, you know, and he, he says uh, he's going to visit his grandparents. And why are you going Oh, uh, you know, whatever. And the, he sort of tells the story about his how his parents are dead, uh, and they were missionaries in Tibet, and he was raised in Tibet. And he's telling this, and, and you know, gradually everyone on the bus sort of gathers around, like, "What? This kid's you were raised in Tibet, and your parents are dead? Oh my God, that's terrible!" And this woman gives him some fried chicken, <laughs> and he's eating the chicken, and he's just like spinning out the story. And it's all bullshit, right? Yeah, he's made it up. Yeah. It's, he's made it all up, and and in the midst of like him hearing this, you know, you're getting the story. There are flashbacks to him telling some lie at school about how his mother had cancer. And then, you know, his mother comes the next day and says, like, you know, why, why would you say that, you know? And she's really trying to understand, like, why would you tell someone, like, I have cancer? And, and, there's, and you, you get this beautiful sense of this kid is dealing with this very deep sadness. And the way he's trying to metabolize it is through telling stories, you know? He's not right. malicious at all. He's right. suffering. 
And anyway, the, so this it's just a beautiful piece of, and by the of way, art. That's why I read literature is because it's metaphors for the human condition. Well, that's, that's it. Exactly it. That's it. And then at the very end of the story, it gets back to the kid on the bus, and he's telling the story, and all these people are are just entranced and the time is flowing and nobody's noticing that they're stuck on the bus anymore so he's entertaining them he's pulling them away from their problems and all this stuff and and then someone says to him well so you speak tibetan and he says well of course i do and they say well talk to us say something in tibetan and then the last line of the story is and then I sang to them in what was surely an ancient and holy tongue. That's awesome, man. That's great. See, it's all how it ends, man. I'll never forget it. I read it 30 years ago, probably. Yeah, so you're going to read... And we probably built it up too much, but it's Laughter in the Dark by Vladimir... Novikov. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and I just love this beginning. It's just such a clever beginning. It's like one of my favorite beginnings of a book. Uh, it doesn't mean it's, it's not the best book of what we mentioned. It's still a great book. Right. But, uh, but the beginning's so important. <clears throat> the beginning's so yeah, important. Yeah, yeah. Once upon a time, there lived in Berlin, Germany, a man called Albinus. He was rich, res uh, respectable, happy. One day, he abandoned his wife for the sake of a youthful mistress. He loved, was not loved, and his life ended in disaster. This is the whole of the story. And we might have left it at that had there not been profit and pleasure in the telling. And although there is plenty of space on a gravestone to contain bound in moss the abridged version of a man's life, detail is always welcome. And then <laughs> for the next, whatever it is, 225 pages, 300 pages, he gives the detail. Right. That's the, literally the entire story. Right. He just told him the first paragraph, and then he still sucks you into the story. Yeah. So wonderfully yeah. anywhere. But what a, like, what it's, a great... It's a thumbnail. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but what a, what, what, like, what, a, what a great beginning. The first thing, he gives away the whole story. Yeah. The second thing, in this lovely, clever line, yeah. he just says detail is always welcome and launches into the book. Yeah. It's so artful. He gives away the story without giving away anything, really. Without giving away anything. Yeah. It's like double yeah. indemnity at the beginning. You know the ending, but you want to see how it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, it's just so, and it's also just so artfully written. Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's very confident. So confident, right? Yeah. There's yeah. like what confidence? So confident. Yeah. Right? There's not. There's not a spare. You cannot. There's not a spare word there. Yeah. Right. And there's not a word you could change. And that we talked earlier about. Uh, or we talked sometimes about podcast, and you say we're doing. The, we're partly doing, doing this because <clears throat> I say I I like writing where I can compose the words. Yeah. <clears throat> and I like podcasts less because later, you know, I might want to edit things. Like I, I yeah. like I already thought. Oh, when I said I'm a self-hating, struggling self-hating writer, because it's a book about a struggling self-hating writer who's, yeah. who's horrible with women at the time. That's exactly where I was at. I, right. worked, I worked to get past those yeah. three things. Isn't it? I mean, your life is so enigmatic in so many ways, but it's, it's like your greatest success is the story of your earlier inability to achieve a certain kind of success, right? Right. right. And... So that's one level of it that's sort of a conundrum in a way. But then there's the other level of this book you're so famous for isn't what pe most people think it is. Right. Far more people know of it than right. have read it, which yeah, is kind of a weird thing. Yeah, it's definitely weird. And their sense of what it is is so uh, diametrically opposed to what it actually is. And right. their sense of who you are is very different from who you actually are. So right. it's it's this sort of you know, great gift wrapped in poison or something, right, you know, right. there's this sort of, you know, sell your soul to the devil kind of quality right. to it somehow. And I guess the poison does serve it because it wasn't so universally 
whatever the word is, feared, reviled, like, you know, everyone has an opinion on it, it probably yeah. wouldn't have, if everyone just... Provocative. Whatever my intention yeah. was for it, if everyone just thought if that was a story narrative of the book, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. Yeah. So it's probably, it's probably like, it's, you know, it's, it served it. And that's the fun thing about what we do is, you know, again, you had a book that someone wrote an entire book length argument against, and on your <laughs> yeah, page, like on exactly. Amazon, I don't know if it's still there, but like that book is there with the most. Yeah, I know. Like, so like people but, who buy this frequently right. buy that. You yeah. know, and that's yeah. what it is. And yeah. like I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who are afraid to put out their whatever their works work is into the public. Yeah, and, and that's what you do. you release <clears throat> it and then you let it go, and yeah. it takes on its own life. Yeah, separate from you. Um, yeah, you're lucky. And and yeah. even if and maybe it's not that you can't control that narrative. It's again, it's like, you know. A child after 18 you've done your best and that's at that it point, they're on their you let them go yeah, yeah i mean sometimes people say to me like you must be so proud yeah i'm like proud i don't know proud like i don't even really remember writing it i read it now and it's like oh that's pretty cool i, I don't remember writing that i don't know what i was thinking when i wrote that but i kind of feel like michael jordan's dad in a way like someone say, you must be proud. Like, well, why would I be proud? Like, right. I didn't teach him to jump that high. Right, right, you know, right. like, yeah. I don't know. He, the, he's that guy. I don't know. Yeah. Let, I, let me let me let me ask you this: yeah. as your as your uh, where where are you at on uh, on the new book? Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that after yeah. while he yeah. eats food, which is out yeah. of war, which is like yeah, probably you're, you're totally destroyed. Cold. I started yeah. to smell my sushi rotting next to me. <laughs> oh, sushi. <laughs> at least it's not getting cold. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so uh, oh so. One of the things I'm fascinated by, and when I'm interviewing bands, I always ask about this, yeah. is like trying to follow up. It's, it's often said that it's harder to follow up something successful yeah. than to be successful. The game was like, what, your sixth book or something? Right. Yeah, and yeah. that was by far your biggest seller so far, right? I think like The Dirt with Motley Crue has been as influential in that sphere like of rock books and, and that stuff. Right. And it might have sold as well. Oh, uh, really? It might have, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. And was, where was that in the sequence? Uh, before it. But what number? Uh, so it wasn't number one, in other it words. It wasn't So you one. weren't dealing with this, like your first book out of the gate was a big thing, and right. now you're trying to, yeah. You know, if, if, yeah, really like, right. yeah. yeah. Uh, what's your, but, what but, was but your but question? But the question is, what's, you know, because a lot of people, the mistake a lot of people, I guess the question is this, do, are you colored by like a what made sex at dawn? take off what were the elements that are you is there that going no i don't think so because i think a lot of what made sex at dawn as successful as it was it it was timing and and i didn't control that that was just really lucky that i wrote a book that people were sort of hungry to read at a certain moment so that's why you're waiting so long for this one you're waiting for the timing to be right that's why it's been like whatever it is yeah i know you're sort of joking in a way but it there is a sense of uh with sex at dawn like i wanted to have that done years before i did but stuff came up and um, you know, I was on Rogan's show the other day and he said, you know, he said, like, he said, Chris, you're one of the most relaxed people I, I know. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Am I really that relaxed? And, and, uh, he said, well, you know, it seems like in your life, just living life takes up a big chunk of your time. Right. <laughs> it's right. true. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're right, Joe. Yeah. Cause Joe's like doing 15 different lives, you know, right. he's living. All, um, anyway, so things came up, but then it turned out to be the perfect moment for that book to come out right. when it did. So there is a sense, I do have a sort of a, I don't know if it's fatalistic or a faith or something that like, okay, this is delayed. I'm doing other things. I'm distracted. And, you know, I get back to it when I get back to it, it will, maybe it will be the perfect moment again. Right. You know, maybe all these delays are, are necessary on some level that I don't understand. Right. I, I'm not about struggle. I don't believe right. in struggle. 
Like I would never fight for a relationship. I would never pursue a woman. I would never like, she doesn't want to be with me. Let it go. You know, this job, you want to fire me? Yeah, I don't want the job anyway. I, I'm just not, I don't, I think there's a wisdom in just sort of, I'm more Aikido than karate. You know what I mean? Right. I'm more like get out of the way than bust somebody's right. head open. Yeah, I guess it goes back to that thing we were saying before is like, you don't know if you struggle with the outcome would be any better than if you don't. So you just choose what serves you in the moment. And, and love and do as you please, right? So if you're centered in yourself, and that's a very Aikido thing, right. it's not about opposing this force that's coming at you. It's about being centered and calm and and you know, Aikido was designed by people who were fighting, who were who were unarmed, fighting against people with swords, right? That was the the idea. So in Aikido, when somebody comes to strike you, you don't block it because you'd be blocking a sword with your arm, which isn't right. going to work. So it's all about getting out of the way, recognizing the the, the yeah, flow emotion. of that force, getting out of the way, and then controlling it in a way that neutralizes it but doesn't hurt anybody. I mean, Aikido's brilliant, really interesting uh, way of thinking. Life. I gotta yeah. learn that. Yeah. After I read, um, what was that book you? Uh, after I read, reread Walden. Um, Walden. Okay, so Henry David there's a, there's, There was a quote uh, that, and I remember. I, this goes back to like the timing thing. I remember interviewing Curtis Mayfield before he passed away, and uh, he was like, in, in his, he had just that that uh, lighting rig had hit him. He was, oh. he was on stage. Oh. Lighting rig hit him. Right. He was in a wheelchair, and of course now that this disaster had befallen his life. All of a sudden he was getting every honor. All his music was like, right. you know, was reissued. Uh, you know, it was just put on this giant, you know, pedestal of acclaim. And I remember he said, you know, it may not come when you want it to, but when it does, it's right on time. Hmm. Yeah. It's so good line. Can come out. Well, it's yeah, a good line. Yeah, it's a good line. Yeah. That can, that can, uh, and so, so is there a, is there a release date for your book yet? No. Well, we'll talk about it afterward. There's yeah. probably the whole thing. Yeah. So I'm going to eat my sushi before it rots. Before it gets cold. <laughs> Thank you, Marg. Thank you. This was yeah, a special you, honor. It was to, fun. To, yeah. yeah. And I actually, wanted, I actually wanted to, you know, part of, I'd love you to meet my friends and the people I enjoy in my yeah, life. And Chris is such an, a great guy. I actually wanted Marg to get to hear you, like, you know, do, do Chris. Yeah, we, we, Neil and I tolerate each other. Yeah, well. this was an interesting yeah. thing to do, to yeah. see him do I yeah. like to see him do different things, and this is, I've seen him He does a lot of different things. And, yeah. I've been on stage with Neil oh, yeah, in yeah. New York. Yeah. yeah. We've done, we've done a bunch of stuff together. Yeah, we've had some adventures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you've been in, in that crazy hat when I was, uh, uh, yeah, you've been tricking picklebacks in the, in that other house when I was oh, that, that right. party. Oh, that's Yeah, we've yeah. done. Yeah. Think, yeah. You took me, um, uh, the first time I ever tried to paddle paddleboard was yeah. on your board in a wetsuit that was too small for me so I couldn't mm -hmm. stand up right I, I still think you might have done that on purpose oh, I definitely. think there was some nefarious I wanted to see a struggle you, yeah. wanted, <laughs> you wanted to see me with my balls like in my throat yeah thanks Neil thanks. I'm gonna make this lazy guy <laughs> struggle instead you just watched me fall and give up is basically what you saw Yes, because my intentions toward you were, are only that, negative. That's my style. I, I fall yeah. four times and I'm like, yeah, I'll go wait on it. It wouldn't be, have anything to do with the fact that I'm like 5'6 and you're like 5'11 and that my wetsuit probably wouldn't fit you anyway, right? It, yeah. It was definitely malicious. Choice. It was malicious. <laughs> right. It was malicious. And it was cold water and there were waves. Right, yeah. which, I, which I made colder before we went out if there. You don't, if at first you don't succeed, redefine success. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good ending. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys.
I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast a buck a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. The other way you can support the podcast is if you buy shit through Amazon.com or you know someone who does. Please direct them through the link on my page, chrisryanphd.com. You click on that baby once, bookmark the landing page on Amazon, and then 8 to 10% of whatever you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra cost to you or your loved ones. Thank you to Basin and Range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast. Very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, Thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those T-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design T-shirts in Thailand, and you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at CarseyBlanton.com. C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm, and it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can because... Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation
Dance into the ground. 